Episode 137, I'm pleased to report he's in front of me and he's not on a computer somewhere in Arizona. Well, yes. No, you're not probably pleased to report <laughs> Oh, boy. Boy, do oh, I love me some Arizona. And, you and I both. Yeah, you too, yeah? Oh. Hey, the problem is it tricks me into thinking it's summer. Every time I walk outside, I'm like, oh. hey, it's summer. It's July. Woo. What's wrong with June, July, August, September here? Yep. October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, May there. The answer or to that something is, like that. The answer to that is nothing. Why isn't everybody doing <laughs> because none of us can afford to do it, probably. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you have, have to have, have two, two places homes. to live, and yeah, you got to kind of maintain it I when you're away. I love Scottsdale. Oh, Scottsdale's great. You I, didn't go to Scottsdale. You're about an hour from Scottsdale? I stayed about a 45 minutes north, but I went to Scottsdale to watch the uh, the national championship game, oh. and, and then we went to a place called the Sugar Bowl, oh. and it's, it's hopping. And when I say I love and, Scottsdale, I, I really mean I, I love Phoenix. I don't think I know Scottsdale well enough yeah. to be able to say that I love Scottsdale, Same but I know that here. that's what people say. Yeah, it's like they it's, love Scottsdale. <laughs> well, it is. It's like a cool little suburb outside of I Phoenix. I don't know. It's like Bellevue, isn't it? Uh, kind of. Yeah. There's restaurants and bars. <clears throat> Excuse me. Why you're getting choked up about this? And I understand why. <laughs> why did you come back? Piper and I went to go play basketball at this court we discovered last time in Scottsdale. It's like an outdoor. Lights are on. It's 90 degrees oh. at nine o'clock at night. Now uh, you could never live in Scottsdale or Arizona all year round, right? The heat would get. What gets to you more, the rain and yuckiness here? Oh yeah, I've or been, the or the hundred and twenty during the summer every day there. I've been bitching about the weather. My wife's so sick of hearing about it. I've lived here my whole life, and I'm just I'm so you, I'm the one who should be bitching about the weather, you not be. you. I'm over it. Yeah, but I, I've had I'm more done. of it. Yeah, I'm done. Are you? Could we do the podcast? <laughs> Could we? And not you? tell anybody? Oh yeah, like easily. literally move to move to Arizona. Both of us move. Yeah. We take our families. We do the podcast. Oh. We keep saying we're in Bellevue. Yeah. Of course, we don't curse, but we don't have to tell the truth. Right. And we don't say anything. And we just, you think people would, hey, would they start hearing something like, why are they always talking about Pima? Well, Pima Road. Pima, yeah, yeah. Pima, Pima Highway. Avenue, Pima Highway. Yeah, I, I well, think wait, they would going notice. On. Are, they, are those guys here? Those, that Mitch and Scott, I don't think they're here anymore. I think the big tell would be when they hear splashing sounds as we're laying in our little floaty chairs with, with our wireless mics. Would the, the coconut pool? oil come through? People are going to sniff it yeah, when they're listening yeah, to the podcast? I think they would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Oh, I know. I love it down there. Let's move down there. So great. And for some reason, yeah, we, we played basketball. It was hot. We got And then we hit Dairy Queen on the way. Got, oh, got a blizzard. What's that oh, time you had a blizzard? I mean, well, we have one right here in East oh, Okay. Well, we go it's been a while for me. I was like, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I don't drink the blizzards. But it's I, awesome. I get the dipped with the chocolate yeah. the chocolate shell on soft vanilla oh, ice cream. Oh. Now they have they have uh, yeah. they have orange. You dip the vanilla into orange topping. Oh. Remember the creamsicle? Yeah, sure. Kind of like that. Forget I mean, forget about it, right? I mean, how can you do better than can a creamsicle? Can we just take the show to damn Arizona? <laughs> and I got the plate I'm freezing to death. I oh keep my God. I I tell my wife my wife all the time, I would love to just I'm done with the weather here. Yeah. And but you know, you got kids who I mean, we're not taking our ninth grader and no. moving schools now. No. But when the ninth grader becomes a college freshman, yeah. I don't know where the college freshman today will be then. Yeah, he'll be out easy of to get into. <laughs> Go ahead, kid. Well, I don't, he doesn't have to be near me. I don't know. I just, yeah. I'm tired of the five months of weather well, here. To answer your question, months. there's yeah. like three brutal months of weather in Arizona, right? The summer, brutal. You know, 105, 100. 
How many? But brutal, it's a dry heat. Yeah, dry heat. <laughs> how, how many brutal months are there in the Northwest? Oh. Three, or would you say more than three? I went to play softball with Piper on Sunday as we record. Just hit the ball, squish, squish, squish. Everywhere your feet are wet, the ball's muddy. Just, I'm sick of it. It's April. It's tough to get home, to come home from that, isn't? Brutal. Isn't it? Yeah. I was freezing. Did you have a good time? Did you guys? Have, how long were you there? A week. It was a week, and it uh, just flew by. It was your spring break. It was Piper spring break. Yeah, yeah. 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 And by the way, I, this sounds like I'm doing an ad for him, and I'm not. But uh, like a for year the ago, of commerce, commerce? <laughs> no. But a year ago, I bought something called Clear because I was traveling a lot for work. Oh, she did that. Is that the thing with the eye or something? Yeah, it's that with you, the eye. Yeah, you yeah. go right to the front of the line. And I was so happy. She I, wanted me to do that. Well, I was yeah. so happy I bought it, and then I got shit canned. <laughs> so I was like, "Why are you sitting on this no, Clear book? You bought it, and then none of us were allowed to travel <laughs> yeah. for a year. By the way, <laughs> add that on top of it as well, right? But we were it's spring break, so Arizona, there were coming and going the other uh, schools are spring breaking we we get to clear and i added my by the way it's 50 bucks to add my wife 50 bucks for the year and piper's free it's like why are we not doing this so i get to the we mowed by i don't know how many people hundreds oh. at like 7 a.m and piper's like feeling embarrassed she was like this doesn't feel right you know you know yeah, what I said? it's like going to the front of the line at disney world well so, i once did that well okay but we bought a tour of some sort okay well you and paid the tour guy yeah the tour guy takes us to the front but people that are standing in those lines for an hour, <laughs> the looks that you get, you don't try to make, you try not to make any eye contact with those people as you're driving, as you're going right to the My front thought of was, F them. Screw them. <laughs> yeah, I paid for it, dude. You should have paid for it too. <laughs> but we got to not tell everyone because then everyone will do it and then yeah. it, won't be, it won't be a thing anymore. It'll be better to go in the regular line. <laughs> it has to go faster every than the time guys I've, in clear. Every time I've traveled with it, it's been better. So this is like a one time we got to mow by everyone. Uh. But no, I loved Arizona. It was... I went horse, horseback riding. You went horseback riding? I hate horses. I'm scared <laughs> to death of them. Have you ever seen Christopher Reeve? I mean, how scary are horses? He was Superman and he flew uh, off Was one. one of them named Milton Berle? <laughs> no, but boy, that's... Whew, yeah, I did see one relieve itself. And yeah, that's uh, quite quite the sight. But Episode 137. Whew. Subscribe, listen, and rate us. Five-star ratings and reviews. They really help. We thank all the people that have gone on to Apple Podcasts and whatever your podcast provider is and rate us. Write a little comment. Yeah. What do you like? Hopefully you like the show. You can also become a patron for $5 a month. You get all the bonus shows that we do from, what, Tuesday to Sunday yep. when we do the bonus shows. $5 a month to be a patron of Mitch Unfiltered. Um, thank you, Dustin Johnson. For uh, missing the cut as the defending champion and the number one player in the world and dropping me out of my own pool like that. And you had Dustin Johnson. I think I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah we were out. Xander, my last-minute pick, he yeah, played but it, well. you got to have all your guys have, have to make the cut. I know. And the yeah. one guy in my crew of five that didn't was the best player of them all. <laughs> the lock. Thank you. The lock. <laughs> it's a lock. Yes. Uh, congratulations to Ron Peterson. Who won a thousand bucks in the March Madness pool presented by Fireside Home Solutions? Nice. We actually had Ron Peterson on episode 136P. I called him on 136P. And also, congratulations to Joel Rinta, who won dinner for two at Daniels in our uh, in our contest. I don't know who won the Masters contest yet, but I'll we'll have that for 137P. Okay. Uh, this is 137. Three terrific guests, Hotshot Scott, I think, on episode 137. I know I always say that about the guests, so, <laughs> yeah. so I guess you can't believe me anymore. Well, you've been, They're not you've been, all terrific. You've been right most of the time. you know, you got a good track record. I really going. like the three guests on this episode 137. All right, guest number one, I don't want to say too much. Okay. His name is David Barrett, 
And in 1986, he was like a 31-year-old singer-songwriter playing little bars in Michigan. He was from Michigan. And he took out a napkin one day 35 years ago, and he had an idea because he loved basketball. He had an idea for a song. It was called One Shining Moment. That guy? Have you ever heard of him? Uh, you know, it's funny. We were watching the championship in uh, down in uh, Scottsdale. You've heard of it? <laughs> and as soon as the game was over, they, they flipped to an NBA game. And we, no, were, we were freaking out. That's against the law. It's against the law. We yeah. were, but I don't have it in me to go settle anyone's hash or oh. tell them what's what. I, I, I just don't it's have tradition it. unlike any other. So I literally pulled it up on my phone so we could hear the song and watch One Shining Moment. Do you know the story of the song? Not, not the. I mean, he's going to tell us the story. Of the song. I've never interviewed him before. David Barrett, sweet guy. Okay. And at the end, you'll love the end of what he does for us at the end oh, of the interview. Okay. Oh. I don't know the story behind it. Okay, I, I don't want to tell you the story behind it. Okay. But I, I will tell you, do, do you know that there's been different singers of the song? Well, I know they tried to give us that Ruben Stuttered shit once. And, Did they? Oh, yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about that. Uh, Ruben, I we think, talked about Luther Vandross. Well, he's he's the guy, right? No. He's, no. He's not. Well, it depends on who... It depends on how you define who's the guy. Who played this? We've had, we've had this debate on our radio show. We've never okay. had the debate here on Mitch Unfiltered, thought, but we used to okay. have this debate on the radio show all the time. The original singer, when they started to use it starting in 1987, they've been using it for 35 years, okay. was this guy. An unknown huh. singer. He recorded it himself, and for the first five or six years, they used his version, which I, and I know you're going to think, oh, you're just blowing smoke because you have him on. <laughs> yeah. It was always my favorite version because, yeah. Look, Luther Vandross is unbelievable. Legend. Jennifer Hudson, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. They're all all these people. Teddy Pendergrass did it, unbelievable. Yep. But there's something about the if you go back, go back and after we finish recording, go back and listen to the original version. Okay. Where you don't recognize the singer. It's yeah. just a a lovely voiced guy who sings like a no name. Yeah. That to me was always. I didn't like it when they started introducing the celebrity singers. I like Luther. Luther's kind of my generation. We talk about that when they called him, when CBS called him and said, hey, David, would you mind (laughs) if we brought Luther Vandross to Michigan to sing your song? Okay, you could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a bad guy I have to sing your song. Right. But I, for some some reason, I've always liked the original. And the original, I think, lasted six or seven years. And then they started, I think they went back to the original and then they they brought all these singers in. Anyway, he's going to tell the story, which is very I all these it. stories are great. The story of creating one shining moment and how one shining moment has literally changed his life. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It's changed his life. Now, this is why I love the podcast because if you had him on the radio show, it'd be eight, nine, ten minutes. No, you wouldn't really get into no. much. And this, this is going to be awesome. This I is at wait. least five or six minutes. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> no, you're going to like it. And, and he's just, I mean, he comes across. As a very lovely man. And what he does for me at the end, I'm not giving it away. I can't wait. What he does for me at the end of the interview just had me like in tears. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, college basketball is very special to you. And you shared it with your dad and the whole thing. So, yeah. yeah. No, I I can't wait. I'm excited. Yeah. So he's interview number one. Okay. Interview number two is right up your alley. And I've been curious since I did it whether you might know his name. I'm saying that nobody out there would know his name. Okay. You might just because of your weirdness. Okay. Have you ever heard the name Rick Rosner? Rick Rosner, R-O-S? R-O-S-N-E-R, Rick Rosner. Does that no, mean? No, I haven't. Okay, so I can't wait for you to write me a text <laughs> after you listen to Rick Rosner. Uh-huh, okay. Rick Rosner is a 60-year-old guy. He's a longtime television writer kind of personality. 
He has one of the three highest IQs in the world. He's one of the three what? smartest guys in the world. Really? He yeah. went to high school for 10 years. <laughs> he kept on fooling the high schools to let him back in. His, he was going in. He loved. He, 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 and I want to give it away. All right, all right. He said, I'm not leaving high school until I get laid. <laughs> and so he was a senior four oh times. And he's the smartest guy. In the, he's the third smartest or second smartest guy in the world. But he kept on fooling high schools into believing that he was still a high. He was moving around. He went to L.A. He, he, he tells the story. Okay, and that's not just – that's just the beginning. Yeah. Then he goes to New York. He becomes like a nude male model for, for artists or Right, whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sca- yeah, yeah. Then, he, then he fools MTV <laughs> into believing he's 19 when he's 26 to give him a job on something called remote control. Oh, sure. That okay. was uh, – th- yeah, I remember then that. He Colin fly- Quinn, I think. Then he flies to L.A. And he's just weird, you know – You'll, you'll hear it. He's so smart. You can hear his smart. It comes right through the interview. Okay. But he's so, really weird, too. Okay. And funny. Well, funny weird. Anyone weird and funny. wouldn't leave high school until they were with a woman. Yeah. That's, okay. That's something going on there. He hooks up with Jimmy Kimmel somehow in L.A. He ends up writing for Jimmy Kimmel. Ends up on the Jimmy Kimmel show as one of the writers. Okay. And, and, I still, and, and maybe the best story <laughs> is he was on the first ever Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Because he's the smartest guy in the round. And he gets screwed, gets screwed over by Regis. Oh, no. <laughs> and then he comes back. They bring him back. And he ends up missing a question, the the sixteen or $25,000, whatever, okay. that who wants to be a millionaire screws up. They don't have the right answer. And he gets, what? he loses. And he sues who wants to be a millionaire. <laughs> Me. <laughs> Guess who will be? <laughs> He sues what a life. who wants to be a millionaire. So this is Rick Rosner. And it's funny that we would have the conversation about, about cursing, which we'll discuss in the first segment. You yeah. know, we had that conversation oh, yeah. last week at this time. I tried to edit some of the I mean, he's got a, he's he's foul. He's 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 flat out. There's F bombs. Okay. I'm right. telling you right now, there's F bombs in this interview. All right. I took a few of them out. But you know, his <laughs> this guy. Sometimes I, they just need to be, and they just I, work. I am, I am really, I am really kind of anxious to see what the listeners take on this guy. He'll either be very abrasive to you, and yeah. you'll be like, "Oh, he's like right in your face," uh-huh. or you'll think he's the funniest. I don't think there'll be any. No one will write me and say, "Ah, <laughs> right. I can give or take." You're either gonna hate this guy, yeah. or you're gonna think he's the funniest guy ever. Sixty-year-old Rick Rosner wow. went to high school for ten years. Went to was a senior four different times and has the third highest IQ in the world as we speak. In the world. In the world. He's the third highest. He's funny. You, you've only said this to me twice. You've said there was another guest where you said you're going to absolutely love this person and you were right. And so I think you're going to be I right about this I don't know why too. I think of you when I think of a television writer from, I mean, you seem to know people, the Bill Martin. <laughs> I don't know. There's something about his world. I'm going to love it. I know you're, I will. You're the stand-up. He's, he, he fancies himself a funny man. Yeah, you yeah. like stand-up comics. Sure. I wonder if you saw this guy's picture, whether you'd kind of recognize him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of recognize okay. him. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Rick Rosner. He's only 60. What else is he going to do in Rick his life? Ro- I mean, Rick Rosner is, uh, is guest number two, and I, I'm curious to see what you think. And then guest number three will be Ken Green, who oh, played yeah. the Masters all those years, won six PGA events, has a really incredible background. He's going to talk to us about the new Masters champion over the weekend, Hideki Matsuyama. Ken Green, always good, even if you're not a golf fan. No, no. I don't follow it really, and he's so, hilarious. I'll say it again. Three great guests again. There you go. You outdid yourself. <laughs> Episode 137, Hot Shot Scott, presented by our partners like Zeke's Pizza. 
uniquely Northwest with the best craft beer selection you'll find anywhere. And by the way, you can have your favorite beer delivered right to your door by downloading the Zeke's Pizza app now in Kenmore, coming soon to Bellingham Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler finally has some nice forward momentum. More and more are returning to a Northwest tradition. Special occasions at Daniel's Broiler, Leshy, South Lake Union, Bellevue Place. There's just nothing quite like it. How about Mother's Day at Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse? A huge thank you to John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, Sponsored not only our March Madness pool, but our Masters one as well. Fireplaces, fire pits, garage doors, firesidehomesolutions.com. Jordan Flowers team with the Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage has been saving unfiltered listeners lots of money for a few years now. Still great opportunities and numbers on refinances. Seven minutes is all it takes. Just call them. 425-250-3150, Jordan Flowers team in the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. And Evergreen Golf Call, Tyler Hayes Club, tax advisors, certified financial planners, and experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments all under one roof. EvergreenGK.com, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. This is a good one. Episode 137. I really think you're going to like it, and it starts right now. Unfiltered. I think if both teams were fresh and they Mm -hmm. played 10 times, based on what I saw, I think Baylor would win the vast majority of those 10 games if they played, even if Gonzaga wasn't coming off of an emotional win in the semifinals against UCLA. Unfiltered. At this very moment, I think any objective onlooker would say that the Seattle Seahawks have one of the three or four worst cornerback rooms in the NFL. But there's still some more offseason, A. There's a draft, so maybe he he pulls a cornerback in the second round or he gets a starting caliber cornerback in the draft. And Tyler Lockett's new big contract gives them six extra million in salary cap space. Mitch is unfiltered. So we're officially underway now with episode 137. You're back from Arizona. As we record, I know it's perhaps your favorite sports day of the year. So let me be the first to wish you a happy WrestleMania day. I know you're a big fan. I know you're going to be watching. You could have wished me. I I didn't know what was coming there, but you could have wished me a few different things today. Today's a big day. Well, yes. That we record this. It's Masters Sunday. Yes, it is. Is this your favorite day or no? Like better than Super Bowl or same? I like, I love Masters Sunday. I really do. Somebody asked you on Twitter and you didn't respond because you're you. But um, I respond all the time. (laughs) I don't know. What are you talking about? (laughs) Somebody asked, what what is it about this tournament that you love more than every tournament? Is it possible that I didn't see that tweet? No, you definitely saw it. So you're telling me somebody asked me what I like like so much about the Masters, and I didn't answer. It, it. might have it's been my on... favorite question. I'll talk to. I'll I'll, I'll set up a lunch with that guy. You will. Don't yeah. say that. He'll, outside, he'll find you. It's got to be outside with masks <laughs> and socially distant. After my vaccine, I'll set up a lunch. All right. Room. I'll let you two hash that out. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I just love that place. And then now today, are you going to tell me? To me, it's 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 the golf course. Because of the setup, or, or or is it because of it's been it's so exclusive and there's a little no, hype around no, it? No, it's or? the golf course. It is okay because it's the beautiful? golf course. No, it's more than beautiful. Okay, it's just the most compelling, interesting, and I don't want to get golf nerdy because you don't want to hear any of well, that. I ask uh, you. It's just the most compelling place you could ever play golf. 
and these guys could ever play golf. There's just so many things going on that you don't get at any other venue, whether really? it's U.S. O- and don't forget, U.S. Opens, PGAs, British Opens, they all move place to place to place. They rotate. Right, yeah, yeah. The ma- And you feel like you've know, you know every hole if you watch. You know every hole. You know every nook and cranny. You remember every single big moment. I mean, there's just nothing like the golf course. The okay. golf course makes the whole thing. And the aura, yes, the aura, but really it's the golf course. It's okay. the fact that one guy with the lead could shoot 42 on the back nine in the same group where a guy shot 30 on the back nine. You know, okay. normally golf courses are either hard or they're not for those guys. Right. And either everybody's shooting low or everybody's getting killed. This is the one golf course that has the variance, has the extremes where one guy could break a course record and shoot 63 five minutes after a guy shot 85. Right. Okay. It, 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 there's a lot of range. It's all about that golf course. Okay. If that, if that, is, that the, is that the answer? Yeah, yeah. I was just curious what it is about yeah. that that you love. love that. By the way, Megan's cousin down in Arizona yeah. uh, shot a 61 on a par 70. I didn't know he was that good of a golfer. Wow. Shot a 61. That's pretty wow. good. On video game? Like on Tiger Woods <laughs> That's golf? right. Yes. On the Xbox? <laughs> That's right. Wow. 61. That's Who are you it. hanging around with? I know, man. If we ever need a ringer, just let me know. <laughs> All right. And I went to Top Golf and swung the club a little bit. So you were going to you want to talk right off, off the gate about WrestleMania 37? Yeah, I I'm taping it so I I can't talk Is that about today? It right now. It's Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Because they didn't have one. Is Andre the Giant involved or no? Oh, well our friend Andre passed away in 1992, so he's probably How about Dust the Rhodes? That the Rhodes is no longer alive. How about uh, just pick one? They're not Thunder alive. Lips. Uh, uh, Hogan. Yeah, Hogan's alive. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. he still wrestling? Um, no, but he makes appearances. How about Ric Flair? Oh, look at you, Ric Flair's alive. There's a great video, by the way, out there of him. Yeah. He's like 70, and he's trying to prove that he's still strong. There's a picture of him deadlifting like 450 pounds. What about the Sheik? You have to look it up. Iron Sheik's a great follow on Twitter. Great follow on Twitter, Iron okay. Sheik. Yeah, okay. hey, you know a lot of wrestlers. There you go. All right, I'll come back over and watch WrestleMania tonight. How about that? <laughs> Are you in? Did you you never got into wrestling? I can't believe that. It feels like no, no, yeah, no. Maybe never. you might have been just a tad too old for it. Really? Yeah, d- during like the 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 Hulk Hulkamania, Hulk won the belt in ninety in nineteen eighty four. I'm ten, so it's like you know I'm loving it. You're old enough to know that eh, this is kind of phony. No, for me, I think it's real. What I remember, I, I think I've told you this before. The only thing I remember about wrestling is that on Saturdays when I was ready for like a baseball game of the week or something to come on my screen, <laughs> yeah. It was on. It, some local southeast. Yeah. And Duff the Rhodes was always on. Yeah. And I, I didn't like it. Was it, it probably Mid-South it, or yeah. something like that? Yeah. It was. I don't know what I was watching, but yeah. I didn't even like it. And I, I just wished that it was a baseball game or something else. Dusty's the best. Sorry. Rest in peace, Dusty. Yes. Yeah, rest Hall in of peace. Famer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Episode 137. So Hideki Matsuyama wins the Masters. After I saw that, I was thinking to myself, because I was in a golf, your golf league forever. Yeah. But it's been a while. You won it, didn't you? Of course I won it. I think I'm on there twice, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. It might say hot shot on the Pat O'Day Cup twice. Really? If I'm not mistaken, yes. Yeah. Um, but I used to always pick a guy named Sh- Shigeki Maruyama. Yeah. And I, I just yeah. glanced he at the guy. He was a good player. He was pretty good. Yeah. But one then shot, I saw... One shot 58 in U.S. Open qualifying. There's your... There's 58? Your, yeah. I, I think it was 58, not 59. I think it was 58. Anyway, yeah. But Go then ahead. I saw that Hideki Matsuyama won. I thought... Not I, the same guy. Not the same guy. No, I, I there had to are look different it up. Japanese players. Yeah. <laughs> well, be surprised. Shigeki and Hideki is pretty close. For he is who the first. He is the first Japanese male to win a major championship. There, there have been women. Oh, there have. There have okay. been women from Japan who have won it. Yeah, Hideki Matsuya. He's been a really good player for a long time, but now everything changes. So his his whole world changes, and their whole world changes. And with the Olympics in Tokyo coming, I mean, it's. Oh yeah. He's gonna. 
He'll be everywhere. He's gonna he's gonna be he'll be carrying the torch like Muhammad Ali in Atlanta or, or lighting the torch. I mean, he'll, it, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. It, did he come out of? I mean, you said he's been pretty good. I mean, did, been really good for a long. Been time. really good. Okay, he's, so it's not a surprise. He's won five or six. To, well, it's a bit of a surprise because he hasn't won in four years and he's kind of oh, okay. gone through a little bit of a slump. But he's a for for those geeks like me that watch it week to week. Yeah, he's a well known player. Okay, yeah, he was always well known for stopping at the top of his back. He's like the only guy who used to stop and he. Now he pauses, but literally he used to stop at the top of his backswing. Okay. And then go. Just stop. Huh. And he hits, yeah. and he's obviously a good he's player. Always really good player. <laughs> well, well, congratulations. He, yeah. So he won. Mariners are over 500 as we speak. Now, I can't guarantee what they're going to be when people listen to this podcast. <laughs> right. They could be 25 games <laughs> under by the time people listen. But they're 500 as we speak, over 500. Evander Holyfield, he's 58 years old. He's coming back on June 5th. He says that he's offered, we talked about this, Mike Tyson $25 million to get in the ring with him, and Mike Tyson's turned it down. Hmm. That's what the Evander Holyfield campus. I he's 58. It he's, it's not. Is it on? I, I, Tyson says it is. Holyfield says it's not. I mean, who knows? Okay. Yeah. Well, he's not fighting Tyson. He's fighting somebody else on June 5th. Uh, so he's he's saying he's back back or just like a one-off exhibition? Or, or do we know? to see how this goes, and we'll go from there. <laughs> I don't think you make those types of decisions when you're 58. <laughs> yeah. You just fight oh. one at a time. We take them one day at a time yeah. there, Hot well, I'm 47, and I went to Top Golf, and I was sore the next day from swinging a golf club. <laughs> I couldn't imagine getting Did you there. go to Top Golf? Oh, yeah. I've never did. been to one. I think you'd enjoy it. It's pretty fun. It's actually. The whole family went? Uh, yes, the four of us went. Nice. I think Piper might be better at golf than she is we basketball. love Arizona. Let's go down to Arizona. Oh, the breeze, the warm breeze. Oh. You order food and oh. cocktails. Oh. And forget about it. Tennessee State football, we don't normally talk about, but they hired a new football coach, and he's 1995 Heisman Trophy winner, Eddie George. Remember him? Yeah, I've interviewed Tennessee Eddie George. Titans legend. Great. Great yeah. at Ohio he's State. He's now a head coach. Like, you know how um, Dion. Neon Deion Sanders did it? Now uh, Eddie George nice. is following his lead. Congratulations in order to Joe Musgrove, who's the San Diego Padres pitcher who became the first. How is it possible that there's never been a San Diego Padre to throw a no-hitter until Joe Musgrove did it the other night? Well, to be fair, how many can you name in the history of San Diego Padres pitching? I mean, they had any, like, all-stars? Seattle's got, like, how many How many no-hitters did the Seattle Mariners have? Fazio's one. Randy Johnson's Randy, got one. Felix had Felix one, Felix right? had perfect a perfect game. game. Yeah. The San Diego Padres yeah, have been around longer than the Mariners. How is it? No well, this guy did it. Um, but I, what I like about the story is in his press conference after throwing in the first no-hitter in Padre history, he admitted that he had 11 bottles of water before his start, <laughs> and he had to take a leak so bad he, he almost went in his pants in the fourth inning. But when you're throwing a no-hitter, you don't do anything. Well, yeah. So he literally pitched the rest of the game from the fourth inning on. And his quote, this is his quote, I had to piss so and <laughs> people are hugging up on you. It's like, dude, give me, leave me alone. I got to go. The baseball players are the most superstitious yes, creatures on earth, aren't yes, they? Yes, they are. Wow. So, Good for him. So, congratulations, yes. Joe Musgrove. Now, before we let the first segment go, and you can handle the, the other stuff second, I think people will like the interviews, you especially, interview number two. Um, 130, so this is episode 137. 136 and 136P officially, I've now checked, provoked the most emails. I got more emails from listeners over last week's worth of shows. Basically two shows, 136 yeah. and 136P. People love when I'm in Arizona. They love it. I don't know whether it's because you were in Arizona. I don't <laughs> know what not. was in the water. I can tell you that I got more emails at Mitch at Mitch Unfiltered, which I love, by the way, when people react. Yeah. 
Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. I got more interviews last week based on last week's shows. Yeah. More emails, not interviews. Yeah. I know, Did I, I say interviews? Yeah, yeah. More emails than I have gotten in any week since we started this nearly three years ago, except week one. Right, of course. The, 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 uh, the, the, the episode one, obviously, I got thousands. I got thousands of emails or, or, or notes and well wishes and whatever. But since that episode... This and, and I was like, what, what? It turns out that there were about three or four different topics that people had a reaction to, and they, they went to their computers and typed emails. All right, I'm ready. You had the ruling from last week's show that I asked people to write me about who was more gullible, who's more to blame over your falling for the Michael Strahan teeth. Our falling, yes, go Our on. Our falling uh -huh. for the Michael Strahan mm. teeth segment. So I can read some. Mitch is far less gullible here. And I'm not just reading the ones that supported me. Okay. Okay. Yeah, sure. Scott got his story from the internet, which is a cesspool of misinformation. <laughs> Mitch got his from Scott. We're all supposed to be able to trust that Scott did his due diligence. <laughs> if I'm getting it from a cesspool, why are you trusting me? <laughs> You're now supposed to do your due diligence, according to James. Mitch, uh, Michael Strahan is an idiot for lots of reasons. Yeah including doing an April Fool's prank in March. What I said. Which makes it null and void. Thank you. But uh -oh. if I must make a ruling, Scott is 10 times more ten to blame times. than you. He got duped and should own it. Love you guys, Bob and Tacoma. It's really not far-fetched to think that a guy on, who's on TV 24 hours a day, he's not just on one show. He's on 24 hours a day. Yeah. He's hosting this. And to think that he would hate the space in between his teeth and had the money to get it, you know, it wasn't far-fetched to think he wanted to get it fixed. No. Yeah, no. so, I mean, it wasn't that I'm, gullible. I'm, I'm not. It wasn't that Bat Boy graduated from college Hold all on of a, a second. Sudden. I'm not suggesting that it wasn't a believable story. Wait, gullible all suggests that it's somebody okay, who's easily okay. tricked. All right, you want to say gullible, you can use the word gullible. No, I don't I, want to use the word gullible. All, all I said last week, and I stand by it, yeah. is that you're more... On the hook. Hooked. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Then me sitting over here listening to you read the story. You fetched the story from a cesspool of misinformation. <laughs> That's where I get everything, yes. You bought it. You didn't do your due diligence like James said. Yeah. And you brought it in here and you read it on the air and I believed you. So I guess there's some, I guess I'm on the hook on some level, but no way. And I, you don't want to use the word gullible? We don't have to use the word gullible. You got it more than I did. Okay, that's, that's that's my and every and I, I I have many more. If you want me to read them, I can read them. Now do the ones where they say we're equally gullible. Do those. There's none. <laughs> Come on. Not one. <laughs> we're equally. Oh gullible. no, there was one. Your text to me the day after. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, you didn't read that, did you? Okay. So we had the Strahan teeth gullibility factor. We had our cursing dilemma. We had reaction from my speeding ticket that i announced oh, on right. 136p what's the, is there a lot any... of lawyer recommendations everybody's got a lawyer yeah right i got probably 12 lawyers from emails from listeners hey i got somebody for you that'll get you off the hook <laughs> right. i'll read you some of those your cousin the Vinny. jim moore interview right got Incredible. tons of feedback it did good he yeah p mostly positive did you know by the way that he played augusta no i did not know that I didn't know that either. No. I mean, you've played I it, I assume. I have. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know. Did we it sound like he played it more than once? Did I hear that correctly? Like, or is it just the one time? He played it twice because when you go cover the Masters, they have a lottery system for the media. Oh, and they that's allow, right. They allow some media to play on the Monday after. I did not know that he was. I do now, obviously. Pretty cool. Yeah. Cool story. So he got no picked idea. out of the lottery twice. Good luck, Jim. Yeah. Good luck. So we got a lot of reaction about Jim Moore. Okay. We got some reaction about the uh, Tasha from Geico oh, yeah. interview where she starts to cry. Uh, and then there's March Madness and Masters Pool. I read a couple here. Ben wrote, 
The great news about the violation, Mitch, being for only five miles over the speed limit, which is what I got cited for in Bellevue. Go back and listen to 136P. You'll hear the whole story. Is that you qualify for a deferment, which allows you to pay a fine. I think it's around $150. And the ticket does not go on your record if you did not get another ticket for a year from the date of this ticket. Okay. If you get another ticket, then both go on your record. If you're a gambling man a bit, it's a no-brainer as you pay the 150 and a year later, it's as if it never happened. I paid the 150 a few years ago versus the $100 ticket, and my insurance rates never changed. That was Ben who wrote that, and I got a lot. A lot there was actually a good handful of not only here's the attorney that you should use to get yeah. you off of this ticket, <laughs> right. but a lot of people backing Ben up, so I'm going to look into the deferment plan. Okay. Did you know about the deferment plan? I did not. I told you, the last one I got, I went through a, a red light with a camera. And I thought, oh, I'm, I can't wait to watch this video because I remember it was yellow. <laughs> it could not have been more red. I was dead to freaking right, and I just wrote a check. I'm out. Yeah, but I don't think those cameras count as a moving violation. Your insurance, I don't think it's – was I wrong about that? I, no, I don't know if it goes up. I just, it just comes Dear out every Mitch, month. I don't know. Here's another James for you. Dear Mitch, I've stopped – this is on the cursing question. Oh, okay. Should we be cursing on the podcast? And, that we spe- talked about on 136. Specifically the F word, though. I mean, because we do curse. We say the S word once in a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's yeah, the F word. It's really the F word, yeah. Dear Mitch, I've stopped listening to podcasts where there's a lot of swearing because of the swearing. And it's not that I'm offended or anything. I just find it jarring, pointless, and distracting. Okay. Be advised, so, James. <laughs> okay, so I, I guess what I'm hearing is if we can swear with a point, he's in. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, Mike writes, I use it. But my suggestion to you guys is use it so seldom, the F word, that it shocks the listener and adds emphasis. Okay. From Mike. So, so there you go. I, I'm actually, I think I'm going to use it now in my very last story. Just to, just to shock people. I, I think I have a place for it. Well, it's going to work. Well, it's already been used oh. in the interview. In interview number two oh, so, that you're going to like. So somebody else already beat me to it. Crap. <laughs> All right, fine. And so I was thinking a little bit about why I don't tend you asked me why I don't tend to curse on the podcast and I actually asked my family we had a we had a conversation over dinner just last night I had the kids together and everybody was together and I was like do you consider me somebody who swears and it's funny my wife says no no you do not swear okay and my kids said yes yeah why it should be the other way around if (laughs) if one group thinks that I swear it should be my wife not my kids but they think I say shit a lot Okay. Under my breath, the, 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 the consensus was that dad or Mitchell swears a little bit under his breath, but they wouldn't consider me a huge, would you, you've known me for 20, do you think of me as a guy who swears off the air? Yeah, I think you're a guy who uses it, I wouldn't say a lot. The F-bomb? The F-bomb, I, if I heard it, I wouldn't be like, oh, I can't believe he said that, I, that's not like him, it, it wouldn't surprise me, I feel like I've heard it a few times, okay. yeah, okay. yeah, but I mean, maybe, maybe you speak differently to me than you would say your wife. And I'm sure I do the same thing. I, I try not to say it around her, but with my friends, I say it all the time. So yeah, yeah, I have a really bad potty mouth, I think, but not around okay. her or my daughter. At least I try not around my daughter. Anyway, yeah. There you go. There, there's some of the uh, feedback from the, uh, from the cursing question. And then there's this one. I, I don't know what to do with this one. Hello, Mitch. Because I just, I don't agree with this. Okay. Hello, Mitch. I've been a listener since the mid-1990s. Well, to your shows that's when you started, so. and KJR since 1991. For the first time since you started these podcasts, 
I did not listen to you for the entire week. The enjoyment I once received from listening to your Thursday episodes, the P-Shows, is now gone too. Multiple reasons behind this, which include that I now listen to many podcasts and I'd have limited time. I'm also really challenged to listen to anything said by your co-host, Scott. Of course you picked this one out. No, no. I, 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 I edited a lot of it. Besides football season, where you have so much interesting content... I find during the other sporting seasons, that is not the rule. For example, this past two weeks, I had only the time for one of your Monday episodes, and I fast-forwarded through much of that. I do not think I have listened to a patron episode on a Thursday since the first week of March. I really only listen to you, Mitch, for sports-related subjects. Okay, fair enough. I'm finding much of your content stale. Hmm. Perhaps you could focus more on baseball and the Mariners as you do the Hawks in football season, and then I would listen more. So something not stale is what you're saying. And everybody else wouldn't listen more. (laughs) Just this fan's musing signed Richard Gould. And I edit. It was actually much longer, had much more things to say about you and about me and whatever. But that's the edited version. Well, I mean, he doesn't like the show. The show is only good during football season because in non-football season, I tend to do lifestyle stuff and interesting st- stuff that I find interesting. He is just not. He wants me to do Mariners and baseball like I do football. Okay, a couple things. Here. Okay, he's he's not wrong about me, but about my <laughs> love of sports. I, I've been very clear. I don't watch sports that are. What did he say about your love of sports? Well, he can't listen to anything I say, so I'm guessing he sounds I'm like a real sports I'm also really fan. challenged to listen yeah. to anything said by your co-host Scott. Fair enough. That's fine. He's not get in line. <laughs> but the thing with you, I feel like he's having it both ways. He says it's stale, but you're but you're doing more non-sports stuff, which is not stale because on the, on the radio show, all you did was sports for the most part. You did a lot of sports. So you're branching out, but how can that be stale if you're branching it's out funny to do new stuff? It's funny because I think I've that. said this to you and anybody else who will listen to me. I actually enjoy the podcast more outside of football season. Yeah. I, when I say I, I enjoy the podcast, I'm, I'm not a listener. I guess I'm a listener, but I enjoy doing the podcast. I enjoy speaking to Jim Moore. And Tasha from Geico, and Golf's Iron Man, and yeah. DC Glenn from um, Tag uh, Team, Tag Team, and Calvin Murray, the guy that was at the plate when Randy Johnson killed the bird. Yeah, that's a baseball. And 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 the two the two NCAA tournament buzzer beaters, and the guy who created one shining moment, and the guy who sued who wants to be a millionaire. I actually that's the stuff I look forward to doing. Yeah. And I guess why this bothers me is I'm hearing. I always assume that if one person feels it, then he's writing on behalf of a lot of other people. Right. That what I'm feeling is, okay, maybe people don't like it when I do these other types of interviews, which makes me sad because that's what I want to do and that's what I like doing. Well, okay, a couple things. If, if you're a listener to just the, the free show, fine. Uh, you're not really going to get in-depth sports talk once a week. I mean, how how much sports can you... Re- so I think this guy would be better off listening to like a sports radio show or like a daily sport. It feels like he's a huge sports fan. I mean, you do one show a week. How much sports... We do more than one show. Well, I mean, for someone who's not a patron, right? right if if right. he's just a guy who yeah, listens. Yeah, yeah. A podcast isn't really that. It's, it's not where you get your daily dose of sports. You just can't. You do it once a week. And even if you did three shows a week stuff always happens you're not gonna, you know what i mean it's like he just sounds like a huge sports fan he it's sounds just, like a guy that wants me like on this show to analyze 
today, the Sunday Mariner right. game. How, how good is that going to be for the people that are listening on Thursday yeah. when they've played four games since then? That's what that I'm Mitch saying. and Scott's on there talking about the Sunday Mariners game where yeah. they come back from three down in the ninth to beat the Minnesota Twins. Well, I thought that when Kyle Seager took that, uh, that 0-2 Four for pitch, four on yeah. Sunday. Should oh, we yeah. be talking about his four for four sure. on Sunday? I'm a Seager believer. Let's do it. I don't know. But yeah, I, I think I, people think of you in the radio show and they go, oh, sports. I love sports. I'm going to listen to Mitch. And then you have the guy who sings One Shining Moment on. He's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. How do people not like I, that, I, though? Again, that's one guy, but I don't know. That, <sighs> I'm more interested in that, too. Maybe I'm a bad influence. Maybe if Hamilton was sitting here, you'd be doing more sports no, and golf. No, I don't and, think so. Okay. No, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I, in fact, in fact, I'm going to say that, that Jason Hamilton and you are very similar in that regard. Yeah, he's a former basketball player. And yeah, he follows the Huskies basketball team very closely. Yeah. But he's got, a, he's got a big job and he's got other responsibilities. He and, doesn't yeah. follow. Okay. You follow it closer than he does. <laughs> okay. So I don't know that that's true. All right. Are we spending too much time on Richard Gold's email? <laughs> well, I, I want to make the guy happy. I want, you know, well, here's how I'm going to make him happy. Okay. I'm now done, Richard Gold, talking about your email. And here's how I'm going to make you happy. The guy from One Shining Moments coming up. <laughs> Great solution. And then, and then a, and then a TV writer from LA who yeah. once sued, who wants to be a millionaire. Right. I know Richard. You want to hear that? And then more, and then, more good news is that you usually give me the last segment. Me, the guy who talks. You who get can, the whole last oh, segment. Oh, Richard's gonna love it. <laughs> Hey, back with us on Mitch Unfiltered is John Waterstrat, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions, not to mention the presenting sponsor of our fun March Madness Pool. Thank you for that, John, by the way. Give us an update. What's the latest at Fireside? Well, thanks, Mitch. It's great to be back and just kind of talking to your listeners. And uh, it's been great. The Puget Sound area is starting to open itself back up. And I still think that the whole remodel, people wanting to do something to their home continues to get people pouring into our showrooms. And we feel very, very blessed to be able to help them in any way we can. We want to have your team over to the house to come up with a solution outside. We want to put a new fire pit out there. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. Well, tell us about that arm, the fire pit arm of the fireside business. Yeah, it's a great complementary business to our fireplace business. People want that nice, warm feeling outside, so uh, it's it's done well. So people want to extend those areas outside, so we're able to put a fireplace for a nice living room area outside, or we can do that gathering space under a fire pit. So again, we can do up to uh, fireplaces, fire pits, and we could even provide you heaters outside, extend those uh, chilly nights in the Northwest to a longer period of time outside. Perfect. And while the name is Fireside Home Solutions, you guys introduced Garage Doors, a Garage Doors layer to your business not too long ago. Tell us why you did that and how it's been. Uh, we were able to have an opportunity to uh, purchase one of our competitors. He was doing fireplaces and garage doors. He wanted to retire. So we were able to kind of blend our two companies together. We looked at that garage door business and we said, wow, what a great complimentary business to fireplaces. Creating that warm, cozy feeling inside was that same feeling that people wanted to do on the outside to add to that curb feel of their home. It's one of those things when neighbors drive by and they look at your house like, wow, what happened to that house? And to add that nice curb feel both outside now and then inside the home and having that warm, cozy place, it's, it's pretty exciting to have both of those pieces of our business. Well, it's exciting for us to be partnered with Fireside Home Solutions for the last few years. We're really thrilled and privileged to have you aboard. We love you. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered.
Drew's dream comes true. Coach Drew and Baylor complete college basketball's greatest rebound and rebuild with a championship. Mitch Unfiltered, episode 137, and there are a few iconic songs in sports that almost transcend the event with which they're associated. Case in point, our next guest, who in 1986 wrote a little ditty that he he likes to call one shining moment. He's David Barrett, and he joins us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Where, where are you? Are you still in Ann Arbor, Michigan, David? Yes, live in, uh, live, in, live in Michigan, Ann Arbor. Always have lived in Michigan. Which is greater, the amount that you've performed and heard the song or the number of times that somebody's asked you to tell the story, like me? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's neck and neck, but uh, I'm always glad to, to tell the story because people go, you're tired, and I thought, you kidding me? The song changed my life. I'm uh, glad to glad to share the story. Well, the question is, David, before you tell the story, does the story get a little better each time? Does the fish grow? The fish that you caught? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I, I uh, as we uh, both age, all of us age, you know, the story uh, gets more miraculous uh, <laughs> over time because partly because the chances of things lining up the way they did were the older I get, the more I thought, are you, I think, are you kidding me? How, how did this happen? So 1986, yeah. right? 1986. Yeah. How old were you in 1986? Yep. I'm going to say 31. Okay. 31 in 1986. Yeah. And you're, you're performing in East Lansing. Pick up the story. Tell us. Sure. Yeah. I was playing at a little club called the varsity Inn. at the club. Uh, the, the night had ended and I, bellied up to the bar just to have a beer and call it a night. And uh, there was ESPN, and it's 86, so that's Larry Bird with arguably one of the best teams history of pro sports. And so I'm just minding my own business. The place is closed down, me and the bartender, and then I'm approached uh, by arguably the most beautiful waitress (laughs) in the Midwest, if not the country at large who is so beautiful, I didn't bother to even talk with her. And Mitch, you may never have had that experience, but you think, I can't talk to this woman. (laughs) So when she sat down next to me, I was uh, shocked and chagrined and uh, I froze. I did. And I looked up and there's bird using somebody like soap. And I, (laughs) I, I tried to explain to her because I, I had nothing else to say how magnificent this player bird at this time in his life uh, and just began to explain the the poetry of basketball to her because I was a big basketball guy. and me, She was really interested in that, wasn't she, David? <laughs> <laughs> Let's say I was still talking when she left. Uh, yeah, but hey, just sidebar on that too, Mitch. That, that Bloomberg about five years ago found this waitress. Really? And we met at that bar. Oh, yep. How about that? And her name's Jan Shoemaker. And as it turns out, she actually remembered the conversation because she's a poet uh, by trade, and she 
suffice to say, she didn't show her appreciation that night, but <laughs> more than I thought, uh, she was listening. People are listening going, okay, how does this have to do with anything? What does this have to do with the price nope. of tea in China, this waitress? Well, the, the reason she's like Helen of Troy, I mean, she launched this ship because after she wandered into the, the night, I took a pen and all of a sudden it hit me like, uh, I, you know, on a napkin, I thought I just wrote down on a napkin one shining moment because I, it just occurred to me what a magical time it was for Bird and 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 that he was able to see time slow down when you're that good, like magic and all the great ones. Mm -hmm. And I thought, now that's something worth writing about. So I stuck it in my pocket, Yeah. Uh, went home, slept on it. Next morning, I was to meet a friend of mine for lunch. He showed up 20 minutes late. And all of a sudden, I got another pen in hand and wrote all the lyrics on two other napkins uh, while I was waiting for my friend, Mark Gilbian. So um, I stuck them in my pocket. So that's why she's important, because she launched the ship, so to speak. And, yeah. and um, yeah. then I went home after writing all the lyrics on you know, these stray napkins, put them on my little banged up piano and wrote the thing in 20 minutes. Now, you had written lots of music. You were 31 years old. You were a oh, songwriter. Yeah. You were a performer. Did you yeah. feel... Did you feel like when this came out so quickly and the words came out so quickly mm -hmm. in 23rd that this was mm -hmm. different than anything you'd ever done or yep. was it just was it just another song Absolutely. David No 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 I I I felt uh I felt like I I put my finger in a socket I mean Really it was um it was nothing but energy and I was honestly Mitch I was stunned and when I got it done I thought my goodness what look what just came airmail and I, I got up to the phone and went over the phone called a friend of mine who's a audio engineer and his name's glenn brown mm -hmm. who in fact just won a, a grammy um but at the time all of us were just scuffling around making a living and uh i said glenn i just wrote something i i don't know what's going to happen uh but i just had to call somebody okay so now you have now you have a great song, at least in your world, in your mind, in your yeah. head. Oh, yeah. All right, well, there's, a, there's a million, there's a million guys and gals out there mm -hmm. who, over the yep. years, have had mm -hmm. great songs. Uh, how yep. do you, how do you get it from you to somebody with power at CBS and CBS Sports? Tell us that story. Yeah, that, that's that's where it gets miraculous. As I was saying earlier, because two things happened concurrently. I was in New York. And my, my friend, Armin Katayan, who's a dear, dear friend, and he said foolishly to me at a party, hey, if you're ever in New York, look me up. <laughs> so the poor guy said, I'm in New York. I'm looking you up. <laughs> and he was being Armin generous. And he said, why don't you come on up and spend the night? Have you got a place to stay? And I said, nope, just get in a hotel. And so I did. And the next morning, just sitting on his couch, I said, you know, Armin, I, I got the song. I don't know what you know, where it came from, but boy, did it ever land on my doorstep. And he just, we, you know, casually said, well, if you ever record the thing, send it to me. So concurrently, a friend of mine from Texas, uh, Debbie Barsky Corbett, who I'd known since middle school, and she called me from Texas and says, said, you know, what are you, what are you working on, Dave? And I said, well, I, 
I have about eight songs going. And she said, well, let's put them on a cassette. So I put a cassette player on my piano and played played eight songs. And one of them was One Shining Moment. So I stuck that in a, the mail as well and sent it down to her. And she called me a couple of weeks later and said, you know, these are really great songs, Dave, but the one that really you got to record is um, this One Shining Moment thing. And, and to make it worse, Mitch, I said, ah, you know, I love the song, but I'm sort of bummed out now. And I don't really, ah, I don't feel like I'm going to have my heart in it. And because she's a dear friend, she goes, listen, stupid, I've known you forever. Do what I say. And with a lot of help from my friends, we, we all were sort of stunned at how well it turned out. And so I just stuck it in, you know, because, uh, you know, envelope and mailed it to Armin. And Armin, uh, God bless him, without telling me, knew someone over at CBS and he just walked it over. I'm Armin Katane of Sports Illustrated. I got a great song and it found its way to a, a gentleman who we lost in 2009 named Doug Tui. Mm-hmm. He liked it big time and wow. called me up. And, wow. and at the time, I, I didn't know Armin had taken it to him. So when he called me one evening, you know, because I have a bunch of meathead friends, I thought that I was getting pranked. <laughs> so it took him about 10, 15 minutes to convince me that he was an executive from CBS because I had, again, I had no reason to think Armin would do anything with it. So CBS has it. They like it. It's 1986. Mm-hmm. And they, as mm-hmm. I read about the story, mm-hmm. they intend to use it. You wrote it as a, I mean, you were a basketball player. You wrote it as a basketball yep. with basketball in your mm-hmm. mind, but they were going to use it in the 19. Well, I guess it would have been January of 1987 Super Bowl. That was yep. the first time they yep. were going to use it. Yep. But but they didn't. Thank goodness they didn't use it at the Super Bowl, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that and that's where it gets more providential because someone smarter than me, and there's a bunch of them out there, pointed out that basketball, the way it turned out, it's such an emotional game in the sense that you can see all the players' emotions on their faces. They're not hidden in helmets. And so that's why it fit exactly right because football would not have been the right fit you know after for various reasons it did not work out for the super bowl Mm -hmm. because at the time look mitch uh no one was beating a path to my door in Hazlitt, (laughs) michigan for my music so uh i was disappointed but then doug called me a week later and said look we love your song man and it was written for basketball let's use it this is how it should be used, and I agreed, and right. here we are 35 okay. years later. Well, I should point out, you don't know this part of the story, uh, David, but uh, it was debuted after Keith Smart broke my heart. At my, I was at my oh, alma sorry. mater. I was, a, oh, uh, I was a sophomore at Syracuse University in oh, 1987. Oh, 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 I'm so sorry. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Keith Smart broke, oh, our, no. he broke our hearts. And then after the yeah, 87 yeah. title was awarded to Bobby Knight mm-hmm. and Indiana, they played the song over highlights, and mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. captured the fancy and imagination of all of us, even us Orangeman fans, at the time. So, David, 
Mm. Tell me, did you see it when it was aired live for the first time? Give me a sense of what, what you remember yeah. of seeing it for the first time. Well, and it's that's a great question. You know, there was a f- cool, funky sort of speakeasy bar in Lansing, Michigan, mm-hmm. and called The Nightcap. And um, so I went down there with my friend Mark, uh, who showed up 20 minutes late for lunch, thank goodness. <laughs> And, we, you know, the game ended. It was a great game. And uh, I had a beer in my hand. Just We thought, well, well I wonder what it's going to be. And I, my, uh, my jaw dropped. I, I thought, this is exactly what I had in mind uh-huh. when I wrote it. Exactly. Uh-huh. And just parenthetically adding that CBS and now Turner have done nothing but protect it. And that's just to their credit. Uh, CBS has been wonderful to me, and and, uh, I'm grateful to them. Now, in my 30 years on the radio before I started doing this podcast, we would just Mm -hmm. about every year enter a conversation, and you're going to think I'm joking with you. We would would (laughs) enter the debate uh, as to which version (laughs) we like the best. And I know you're going to think that I'm just blowing smoke because I have you on the line (laughs) and – uh, obviously, no, no, no. Uh, unfortunately, I can't have Luther or Jennifer or Teddy. No, no. But I'm going to tell yeah. you that I always was, I was true to my form. I always mm. liked your version, the original version, the best. Not that I didn't love Luther Vandross and Jennifer Hudson mm. and Teddy Pendergrass. Yeah. But I, lo- there was yeah. something about the fact that I didn't recognize. The singer. Mm. I didn't recognize the voice. How many years did they use your version? And then tell us uh-huh. about the the decision sure. to go away from David Barrett on vocals and uh-huh. use use these other people. Well, that, uh, again, and your timing is perfect because thank you. By the way, um, every once in a while, someone will agree with you, and it's always flattering. And that there is something to be said for the the writer of the song to sing his song. I had uh, the opportunity to tour with Art Garfunkel for about a year mm-hmm. as a perform- opening set for him. And I was just thinking about it. Uh, anyway, I was saying to my friend in the studio, I love her because she's not a trained singer. Uh, and I've worked with a, a, a lot of really great trained singers. But And same thing with Art. Art is not a trained singer. But who else would you want to hear Bridge Over Troubled Water? Nobody. Nobody. And and I would say in this case, the song fit my voice and I fit the song. And it was my song and I sang it as if it was the end of the world to me. Mm-hmm. And it was. And it opened the world to me. So I sang it for, I think they used it for six years. Don't quote me, six, seven years with me being the vocalist. And then uh, Doug called me. We, you know, said, hey, would you mind moving over and have Teddy Pendergrass sing? No, man, that's great. So they use they use my tracks. They're still using my tracks. And then I came back and sang it in 2000 for a couple of years. And then uh, then the great Luther Vandross came and sang it. And a lot of people don't know, and it's worth telling you, that he had, I think it was a stroke a couple yes. weeks yep. after singing uh, one shining moment. So we were the last song that he sang. Wow! And so I'm grateful back to the miraculous story here. Uh-huh. I mean, that transcendent voice. <laughs> so then anyway, Doug called and said, 
in 2003, hey, you know, would you mind moving over for Luther Vandross? No, Doug, that'd be fine. <laughs> Thank you. That'd be great. <laughs> Thank you. And we, wow. he flew out with the tracks, and, and we mixed them here in Ann Arbor, where I live. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's something. David, not to get into your business, but people, I think, in our audience would be interested. How, how does, I mean, did this song make you a wealthy man? Did it put your kids through college? How, how do, do they buy it from, who owns the song? How does it work? Well, uh, as it turns out, um, CBS, it took, well, let's give CBS a break. I don't think they really knew what they had for a couple, three, four years. So I, I never talk about numbers but i would say i think the it has worked out such that they now value it in a way that doug valued it to begin with i think so yes it helped immeasurably you know straighten a bunch of teeth and my daughters and got them through college and you know i'm not uh living on long island but we you know it's it's been it's been uh, in the Hamptons. We, you know, we we do fine, and I live in the Midwest, so we we don't, you know, have quite so many bells and whistles, and that's fine by me. Mm. I would say the uh, my relationship with CBS has been, uh, you know, a lot of corporations get a lot of blowback. They've been more than fair and uh, continue to be that. And, by the way, for many years, you being a basketball player, you being a college basketball mm-hmm. player back in your day, they took you to the Final Four for a lot of years, didn't they? Oh, they still do. Uh, NCAA now, uh, I have a relationship with them. And, uh, yeah, I've been, other than last year, obviously, and this year we didn't because of covid but every year I take my, my wife and two girls and now my son-in-law to the Final Four, and it's just our way of celebrating being a part of this. You know, I call it Christmas in March, and we go down and celebrate. Was there ever a time you talk so fondly about the song and you have such a lovely story and a lovely way about you, and I thank you. I, I, I'm really thrilled to meet with you, David, this way. Oh, but oh. did you ever... As a guy, and, and I, I remember having, we've had a lot of songwriters, at least a few on the show. I remember mm-hmm. having a real earnest conversation with the, uh, the songwriter of the Cheers song. Uh, the, oh, sure. the, and, and I asked him this question, I'll ask you, did you ever, even at a younger age, resent that they only know me for this? I've done all this work over oh. the years. I've worked so mm-hmm. hard on other projects, mm-hmm. but only people know me and ask about this one song. Was there ever that in your world? No, no, honestly. I, and I have, a, there's been a variety of approaches to what you just ask. Uh, nothing worse than when you've got someone from the New York Times going, so what are you done lately for me, kid? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're done. You'll never make it in this business. Uh, um, no, I, I never uh, at all because um, it is odd. It, this is the oddity. I write every day. I mean, I, I write songs because it's what I do. The likelihood of it lining up the way it did, and here we are 35 years later, um, is beyond calculation and and so if you were to i could probably ask you name me five songs of don mclean yeah <laughs> and you probably know a couple 
He's written. I know one. I know Uh, one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. My point. And so the, Uh, you know, I do scores, and I love doing scores, mm -hmm. and I do, uh, I write songs, and I've written a bunch of themes that actually were much more financially beneficial to my family. Uh, I wrote the PGA Championship theme and the U.S. Tennis Open theme and some Olympic work and. Nice. Um, all of a sudden I, you know, found that niche, but again, I was touring around with Art Garfunkel as a solo guitarist. So, um, you know, and I love those songs that are guitar based. Um, it's just, uh, this serendipity happened and the day, in fact, I'll get your home phone. The day I complain about it, you call me up (laughs) and yell at me. Okay. Well, and you're welcome to and hit me in the back of the head with a shovel. Well, you're a lovely, lovely man, David, and I really well, appreciate you being on Mitch Unfiltered okay. and telling us the story. Would you do me and our audience one last? I know that you don't maybe sound like you did when you were 31, and I know it's 35 <laughs> years ago. I don't want to. I don't want to ask you to do it on the phone. What I'd like to do is say thank you. Would you sit down and do a rendition for us and send it to me? Would you do that? Of course. I would love to do it for you. I probably won't bore you with the whole song, but I'll get through a chorus, and then uh, <laughs> and then you can pull the plug. Ah, David Barrett. Thank you, David. Thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered. Mitch, my pleasure. Oh, sorry about Syracuse. <laughs> Hi, Mitch. David here. Uh, I'll play you some One Shiny Moment, and uh, hopefully this will ease your pain from 87 with Keith Smart hitting that last shot. And uh, here's one shining moment. I'll do a verse and a chorus. The ball is tipped. Syracuse. Hey, it's time for a visit with Dan Black, the president of Zeke's Pizza. Hey, Dan. Hey, Mitch. Things seem to be moving in the right direction for you guys at Zeke's. You're expanding both in dining room capacity and locations. Yeah, I got to tell you, it feels good to have some normalcy coming back. I think everybody's experiencing it, not just at Zeke's. I actually got stuck in traffic the other day. It actually felt good. Uh, (laughs) There's people out and about, and that includes at Zeke's in the dining rooms. And it's, um, you know, it's just fun to have people back in in our dining rooms and just being out. And the new locations coming where? Yeah, so we mentioned Bellingham. Uh, We're on track for late spring, early summer there. We're really excited about that one. Uh, We've also mentioned stuff like Seward Park, Mount Lake Terrace, White Center, Burien. So those are are all in the pipeline and 
and more coming even after that. All right, so what's the Black family having delivered to their door these days in terms of pizza and beer? Yeah, last time you asked me this, I got in trouble because I went right into how the whole family was drinking Hot Tropic. So for the record, Georgia is not drinking Hot Tropic. But uh, the whole family's eating Cherry Bomb pizza. That's that's one of our classics, and it's, it's a fave out there, and it's definitely one of the Black family's uh, favorites. Uh, and then the beer right now is Moon Booter IPA. We brew it together with Old School House Brewery out of Winthrop, and it's it's just a really tasty West Coast IPA that you can you can drink a lot of or just sip it if you want. But it's it's really good. How's uh, the delivery arm of the business doing, Dan? It's good. It's still strong. It's uh, as people dine out more, there's. Uh, slightly less delivery and takeout, but what we make up for both in sales and then just excitement of having people back is totally worth it. Download the Zeke's Pizza app and have Zeke's to your door in no time. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. I have a tattoo on my ankle that says born to do math, and that serves to remind me of what I should be doing when I'm naked in front of an art class, if I happen to see it, reminds me that I shouldn't be just being a a nude boy or being a bouncer. I should be doing physics and math. I took advantage of whatever laws letting me get access to my high school permanent record. I found out my actual IQ scores. They were about 150. I wanted to do the most interesting thing, which is think about the structure of the world, you know, like an Einstein would do. I didn't think IQ 150 was adequate for doing that. So I decided to re-educate myself as a not-so-smart person. So let's roll along here on episode 137. It's been said that our next guest is really smart. One of the three smartest people in the world, maybe a longtime television writer and producer personality, an infamous game show contestant. He's got great stories to tell. He's Rick Rosner, and he joins us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Hi, Rick. Hey, it's not real intelligence. It's just <laughs> IQ. I want to know, are you, am I talking with the most intelligent guy in the world? The, the well, highest Twitter, <laughs> What is it? Uh, my Twitter handle is dumbass genius because for every smart thing I do, I do two or three <laughs> stupid things. Explain it to me. When did you start taking these IQ tests? I, I, I know the story of you getting a hold of school records in high school. We talked about how many years you were in high school and you found a number that you didn't appreciate very much. Is that right? Well, I grew up in the, in the golden age of IQ testing. <laughs> And my elementary school was across the street from the university, and they needed guinea pigs. Uh They had a giant psych department. So the kids who liked taking these tests got tested a lot. I got to high school, and I'm like, I'm a 70s kid. In all the movies in the 70s were, you had to get laid while you were in high school. Uh And there were a zillion movies where the sensitive kid finally gets laid, finally pries the cheerleader away from the football guys and is appreciated for his intelligence and sensitivity, which doesn't ha- never happened in real life. But I didn't know that. And I'm like, why am I not getting a girlfriend? I'm, I'm, I'm so smart and sensitive. Boulder, Colorado, right? Yes. So I got my permanent record. All the, you know, all the tests I'd ever taken. And I'm like, well, these aren't so fucking high. 
Can I say fucking? Um, you know, they were in the 130s, 140s, topped out at like 151. And I'm like, well, I can't be Einstein with that lowest score. And I probably can't even get laid. Um, and only a few years later did I find out the tests top out at 150. Ah, in high school. Uh, the group administered tests where they make, sit down the whole class I and make see. them take. I see. So you worked at it. You wanted to go higher and higher. In 1978, I see you did one seven. What's perfect now? 200? 200 on IQ? There's no perfect. you got to find a test written by some lunatic, <laughs> some hobbyist. You know, it's like the world's strongest man competition. It's, it's like whatever some, you know, TV production or just, you know, it, it's all arbitrary. You know, like, you know, it's the guy who can pick up a three pound rock stronger than the guy who, who tows a train with his teeth. It's 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 just, you know, it, it's a weird little sport all on its own. When did you know? When did your family know? When did your parents know that this kid was a little different intellectually at, at a really early age? Yeah. In kin, like there were no helicopter parents. When I was growing up, it was that kind of thing was frowned upon. The other moms gave my mom shit. They thought she was keeping me inside and teaching me stuff prematurely uh -huh. because I was I was doing smart stuff and I learned to read early. And she did none of that. She was terrified by that. Um, and nowadays, you know, every third parent, you know, tries to get their kid, you know, reading by age three. But that was weird back then. How many years did you spend in high school, Rick? And tell everybody the story. How many years as a All senior right. in high school? Tell a story. All right. So my first senior year, um, <laughs> I was I was student body co-president. I'm like, this will get me a girlfriend. It didn't. Okay. Everybody in my little town, Boulder was little back then, and they knew what I was, which was a super thirsty, strivy, you know, desperate guy. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I could start lifting weights. I could talk like Barbarino. I could pop the collar on my jean jacket. None of it got me closer to getting a girlfriend because uh, people knew me. But I had two families because my parents got divorced and they each started a new family. So I had a step family in Albuquerque. Oh. So I'm like, all right, I'll go back. I'll have another senior year. And I, I decided I would, wouldn't leave high school with my virginity intact, even if it meant having to go back. Um, I broke into my high school. I stole blank transcripts. I built myself a new transcript. And I went back as, as, as a dumber, a uh, more footballish guy didn't work at all. <laughs> didn't get any. Still couldn't talk to girls. Yeah, but it uh, worked. It worked enough to get you back into school, which is amazing. They kept taking you back as somebody different. Were you were you somebody different each time or not? Uh, the first time I went back under my own name. The second time, I messed around with my name so I could. St I, I turned my first name Rick into my middle name. And I made my first name a name that nobody would want to go by, which was Gilligan. So I wouldn't pop up in the in the school system computers because I went back to Albuquerque again oh, nine years later. <laughs> uh, so 12, 12th grade four times? Uh, let's so successful <laughs> in terms of getting in a second time, class of 79. Okay. Unsuccessful trying to get into Fairfax, 
Hollywood High and Beverly Hills High as part of the class of 81. Because um, I figured, hey, I should sell my stupid story to like a Hollywood producer. And I thought, and it'd be more convincing if I were actually in high school when I'm trying to pitch this thing. So I, I went out to LA where I had relatives and I tried to schmooze my way into high school one, one more time. And you did so at 26 years old? Did you? And then, and then class of 87. Class yes. Of you were, you were 26 years old as a senior in high school. You grew up in Boulder. You went to college. You didn't go to Harvard. You went to the University of Colorado. It was my hometown school. You know, I wanted to go to Harvard, but I didn't want to go to Harvard as a virgin because Harvard's full of like, you know, rich people, prep school kids, you know, the Kennedy family. You know, how, how would I compete? You know, I, I knew that I'd be all sad if I couldn't get a girlfriend and I'd, I'd be in some shitty little, you know, Boston dorm room with a clanky radiator, you know, flunking out because I was sad about, you know, sucking with girls. All right, you ended up in New York, 1987. You, uh... Yeah, I went to high school in Spain. I graduated high school for, you know, nine years after the first time in Spanish Harlem. Oh, okay. So 1987, you went to MTV and you tried out for a job where you were supposed to be 18 at the time. How old were you? Uh, 27. And they, you fooled them? They, you looked 18? Well, the, the deal is that I graduated high school and I was sad to give up my high school persona. Uh-huh. But then I was going around looking for jobs as an as an art model, where I just you know stand there naked, which is one of the jobs I regularly did back then, mm -hmm. and found out MTV was recruiting teens to to play a a quiz show they had in development. So I showed up, and I played the game, and they had me back to play it for the executives to get it greenlit because I was charmingly dumb. <laughs> Um, and the show got greenlit, and I, I wrote to MTV, I said, I'm not really as dumb as um, I was pretending to be and can I work for you? Because I really liked all the people. They were really funny. I'd never been around like professional comedians before. And, and I said the magic words, which are, I'll work for free. MTV is, has always um, run off of unpaid interns. Uh -huh. and, and so I used my forgery skills. They said, yeah, you can work for us for free if you're getting college credit. So I, I forged a, a document that said I was getting college credit and I went to work for them. And that was called remote control. We remember it well, the TV show remote control. Yeah. And you were in New York and then you had a wife who went to Los Angeles. You went out to Los Angeles with your wife. What year? My future wife. Your future wife. Yeah. What year? Uh, we went out to L.A. in 89. Okay. You wrote for the world's funniest, which was kind of a... a it was, a, it was yeah. just it was a clone of America's, um, funniest. America's funniest home videos you, for Fox. You became associated with Jimmy Kimmel and stuff that he was working on, right? You wrote for him. Yeah, the deal is like there are some people who think I'm an incredible idiot because just due to the odds wherever I meet them um i'm in the middle of doing something schmucky yeah with jimmy it was the opposite um every time we, we ran into jimmy my writing partner and i three or four times we had the same agent for a while and we just had short encounters with him where we were funny 
and the, the, the encounters were short enough that he couldn't see how dysfunctional we were. <laughs> and then in 1999, our guest Rick Rosner, really, really smart, at least that's what the IQ scores say. It's 1999, and there's this show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, starring Regis Philbin. And on the, yeah. on the very first show, the very first show, you're one of these guys that's uh, guys and gals that are trying to get through what, what they call the fastest finger question to get into the chair, and you get screwed over. Yes or no? Probably. <laughs> because they had a glitch on the fastest finger uh, Regis misread their, or stumbled over the question, yep. so they had a choice whether they could keep the question or throw it out and do a new one. Yeah. And I feel like I was one of the two people who got it right, and I feel like the may, you know, maybe they looked at me and they're like, nah, I don't want, we don't want to put this guy in the hot seat if we don't have to <laughs> on our very first show. Uh -huh. But I have no, nothing proves that conclusively. Right. So you didn't get through, but 123 shows later, you found yourself back on the show and you got into the chair. Yes. And that's when all hell breaks loose. Explain. All right. What I didn't know now, <laughs> you, you do a sports show, which means um, a lot of gamblers watch your show. Right, right. That's right. Listen. I'm not a freaking gambler. I hate gambling. Okay. Unless, you know, unless it's a dead solid, you know, the odds are totally with me. What I didn't know when I went on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and I watched just about every episode, and I gauged, you know, how far I should get based on, you know, my level of knowledge. Maybe not to the million bucks, but, you know, I had a good shot at 125 grand, statistically. What I didn't know is your odds of leaving the show because they screwed up a question because of a factual error in their research, leaving the show as they were to win the million bucks. All right, what happens? It's the $16,000 question, which even a guy like me normally be able to come up with. Yeah, the $16,000 question is, is normally like, you know, uh, what, you know, what chip has the slogan, eat all you want, we'll make more. Alex Trebek made fun of how easy their questions were. Okay. Um, what was your $16,000 question? What capital city is located at the highest altitude above sea level? And the choices? Bogota, Kathmandu, uh, Quito, and Mexico City. And what's the problem with those choices? None of them are the correct answer. <laughs> Okay, so you did you phone a, you phoned a friend, did you not? Yeah, a, a travel writer who'd been to like three of those cities. Yeah, um, and we decided that the trick of the question was to know that Kathmandu is like a half-hour plane flight from the highest point on Earth. Okay. Mount Everest. Okay. So we're like, that must be the secret behind this question. So we, I went with Kathmandu. And. You were told incorrect and you were done. Yeah. And then I found out that they'd screwed up their research, that the, the question didn't even contain the actual uh, highest capital city, which is La Paz, Bolivia, at like roughly four kilometers above sea level. If you try to go to La Paz's capital city, can actually kill you from altitude sickness. Wow. And so now, um, you're, now you're off the show. 
you feel like this is this is ridiculous. I got a question. They didn't even give us the right answer. And yeah, because if yeah. they can't find the right answer with unlimited time yeah. and resources, then how can they expect some schmuck um, <laughs> in the hot seat to know the answer? And in fact, every previous time they'd done something like this, the person got invited back ah. eight times. So your course of action was what, Rick, when you found out that you'd been wrong? Well, I, I wrote him a bunch of letters, and then as the statute of limitations for suing, you know, I had one year to take legal action before the statute of limitations kicked in, so right at the year, I'm like, all right, I'm going to just sue you guys. I, I, I try to do something stupidly pointless every few years, and I thought, well, this can be my stupidly pointless thing for this part of my life. And what happened? I didn't win. Judges are not overly sympathetic. I'm not sure any, I think no one has ever won a game show lawsuit. Judges think if you're, if you, if you're just kind of like so hopeful of, of an easy payday that you would put yourself on TV, that you deserve what you get, regardless of what it is. There were a, a handful of these lawsuits that were hanging around who wants to be a millionaire at the time, no? Uh, there was one other which helped okay. screw me because this guy didn't really have a case. He had a, a really twisted argument and he had a crappy lawyer who just did a bad job of, of, of writing briefs in the lawsuit and then I had a judge who was sympathetic, but he retired. And then the new judge looked at the briefs out of New York where the other lawsuit had been held mm -hmm. and said, well, this is the, exactly the same case. So, and they both suck. Uh, and that was that. And then I appealed, and, which cost about 40 grand um, <laughs> and lost on appeal. So I'm the biggest loser in the history of who wants to be. Oh, dear. Were you convinced, by the way, that you were going to win the million dollars? How, how convinced were you? No, no, that? no. Like I, like I said, I, I didn't, like, I'm not like a Ken Jennings where I know absolutely every single thing. Right. But I'd watched just about every episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and was, you know, super confident in getting to, to that safety level of 32 grand and reasonably confident of getting to 125,000. So what's become of you since? Tell us a little bit about what the last 15 years have been like for Rick Rosner. Well, while I was suing ABC, um, I was working for ABC, uh, writing for Jimmy Kimmel for his late night show for about 11 and a half years. Tell, by the way, what happened with the Domino's commercial? Uh, I had a Domino's commercial where I was billed as having an IQ twice as high as everybody else, which I think was part of the theme because they said that Domino's has sandwiches and they said their sandwiches were twice as delicious um, as Subway sandwiches. Um, and here's a guy who's got an IQ that's twice as high. You know, the whole thing was twice, I yeah, think. Yeah. Subway sent them a cease and desist letter oh. saying it's not fair because you just have your sandwiches. Yet when you served our sandwiches, you put all the healthy shit on the sandwiches so they wouldn't taste as good. <laughs> Because, you know, at, at Subway, you can pick all, you know, lettuce and, and, I don't know, various vegetables. And 
So that, oh. that commercial only ran for two weeks before the lawyers got involved. And you got pissed about that commercial for what reason? I don't remember. I mean, I got pissed it only lasted for two weeks. No, you got pissed because they misspelled your name in the damn commercial. Oh, I, I didn't. No, that's that. I, 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 no, I'm not pissed about that. I mean, any publicity is good publicity. Who is the smartest guy in the world? Do you even know who? I mean, if it's not you, who is it? Uh, the guy with the who's listed as having the highest IQ is is a is a psychiatrist in Greece named Evangelo, Evangelos Katsoulis. And sometimes he'll he'll tweet in in Greek, yeah. um, you know, on Twitter. And I, I I always like his tweets, even though I don't read Greek, because I figure it's probably something pretty smart. This IQ level, Rick, in retrospect, what are you about 60, 65 years? Or what, what, what what's your age now? Can I? Ask? I turn sixty one next month. Okay. Blessing, curse, or somewhere in the middle? Somewhere in the middle, but I mean, it's given me some some slight highs and some ridiculous lows do you find yourself tolerant of others i mean i mean you come across people every single day of your life yeah i mean i i i I bounced bars for 25 years i i i met three quarters of a million people yeah and you know you you've met a zillion people so you you develop a model of people you know that most people are pretty okay and then there are some people at, you know, at the ends of the bell curve, some people are fucking saints and some people are just horrible monsters. Mostly a blessing. Can you think of examples how you would explain to our audience how it's gotten in the way? It's just gotten in the way. It's been ridiculous. Well, well my f- one of my friends, Dave Schuchter in high school said there's the right way and there's the Rosner way. <laughs> and the deal is like I've, I've gotten in trouble when I think I can figure out how to do something, that really I should just listen to the common wisdom. Now, like I said, you know, I I was desperate to get a girlfriend and and get laid, and people now are smarter than people were in the 70s. Um, Plus, like, life now is awesome. There's other stuff to do besides get laid. You know, we've got awesome video games and movies and TV, most of which sucked. We didn't have video games in the 70s and the food sucked. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff to do. You don't have to get laid. Plus, we got the internet, which is a cornucopia of porn. So teens are actually having like 40% less sex than they had when I was a teen because there's so much other good stuff. And also teens understand more shit because everybody has the internet. All we had back then were our equally stupid friends. Wait, I didn't have that common wisdom. And so I kept coming up with plans. Uh Like I carved the shit out of myself with a razor blade because I thought, well, you know, maybe chicks dig scars. And I gave myself eight feet of scars. So, I mean, that's what that's the kind of stuff that you do if you come up with your own plan. But just think if you didn't have this this pursuit of of girls and and sex and being wanted and desired, what kind of life would you have led? All these things wouldn't have happened in your world. Well, what would have happened is maybe I would have gone to Harvard. Maybe I would have sucked it up. Maybe I would have gotten like a, a, a professional degree. And then eventually I would have met like, you know, a, a high level professional woman. Okay. And 
um, she would have been my first wife. And, you know, I'd be on my third wife. <laughs> but instead? Yeah. Instead, I'm, I'm on my first wife. And she's, she's a, she's a high-level professional. She didn't go to Harvard. Yeah. But anyway, we've been married. Well, our, our 30th anniversary nice. is in five days. That's nice. That's very nice. And look, yeah. if you had done it the other way, then you wouldn't have been on this show and there'd be no reason to talk to you. You'd be more normal. Than you are. Uh, you're, you're fun now. You're exciting. You're, you've lived through some incredible times and have great stories to, to, to weave and tell. Rick. Well, thanks. <laughs> it's great to have you on, Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you for being on. Rick Rosner, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I hope you'll come back. Will you do it again? Oh, yeah, please. Lindsay Schwartz is back with us. He's the CEO of Daniel's Broiler, of course. And I'd imagine, Lindsay, that with expanding dining room capacities, vaccines, you guys should be seeing some forward momentum these last few weeks and months at Daniel's Broiler. We are for sure. It's been a crazy year, obviously, but uh, over the past several months, every week we got a little bit busier. And uh, now that we can seat up to 50% capacity and tables of 10, we've got pretty much every available seat full every night. So you have Les Shy, South Lake Union, and the Bellevue locations open. Tell me a little bit about what that's meant to your business, the expanded capacity in the dining rooms. Well, you know, we sell the six foot rule. And so at 50% now, it's about as many tables as we could conceit and still keeping them six feet apart. So it's about as much business as we'll be able to do until there's a, another significant change. But it's good. You know, we, we're fortunate that we have pretty big footprints in our locations and we're able to seat a lot of people. And remember, we have outdoor seating at all three locations as well. So um, uh, we got a good amount of seats available. Nice. Takeout and delivery on the rise at Daniel's Broiler as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one of the one of the nice things that's come out of all this is we've really, really seen a huge upswing in our delivery to go business. And, and even as we get more people back inside, the delivery takeout continues to be really, really solid. So we think that's a really a new piece of business for us that's here to stay. And uh, it just gives people more options. We all love special occasions at Daniel's Broiler. And before you know it, Mother's Day will be here, Lindsay. Yeah, that's one of the biggest days of the year, one of the biggest weekends of the year. It's really nice that we now can do groups of up to 10. And as you said, more people are getting vaccinated. And for people who want to come out and have a larger group, a group up to 10, we can now accommodate that. So we're really excited. And just in time for Mother's Day, it's going to be a really great day. Fantastic. Always been a great partner of mine, both in the radio days and now with Mitch Unfiltered. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. That by one. Matsuyama is Japan's first Masters champion. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you the 2021 Masters champion, Hideki Matsuyama. Thank you. Episode 137, we have a new Masters champion. Hideki Matsuyama has been a really good player for a long time, and now he's more than a good player. He's a major champion. He's a Masters champion. Our next guest, 
knows what it's like to win PGA events. He knows what it like what it's like to play in the Ryder Cup and to lead the Masters and to be in trouble at the Masters. He's the author of Hunter of Hope, the always entertaining and inspirational Kenny Green. Hi, Ken. What's up, big boy? How you doing? I'm doing okay. It's good to have you back. How many times did you win on the PGA Tour? I won six in the States, and I won three overseas. Okay. So I, I can't complain. Okay, so Matsuyama had won five. I guess his life and Ken Green's life after the Masters is a little different than uh, than what you what you experienced, right? His, he, he, I mean, and I know they mentioned it a few times on TV. You have no idea how big he is going to be in Japan. Really? I mean, he will be, I mean, he'll be godlike over there. It's... They're, you know, they're golf crazy, and the idea that they, that one of their guys finally broke through and, and wins a major, this guy, they're going to have a national holiday for him. You know, they're going to, they're, they're, they're going to, you know, he can, he's never going to have a problem getting late again. I mean, they're going to have parades, and I promise you, he'll, he'll be carrying the torch at the Olympics. Uh, I'm sure. I am sure. Was it a good Masters, Ken? Was it a? Gr- it wasn't a great Masters because we didn't have all the, the hullabaloo on the on the second nine and the Eagles and the and the craziness because he he kind of went wire to wire and he made it boring. But but it was a good Masters, was it not? It was probably better than the November one in Dustin Johnson, right? No, it was definitely better than than the, what Johnson did in November. And I, you know, I've said before that I honestly think that. Until they get all the fans back, it'll never seem right. Because yeah. you don't get that, you know, those 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 loud cheers that just kind of rip through those trees. Like it sounds like bazookas are going off when a guy makes an eagle or a birdie. Or it, it just it's not quite the same. And then you you fast forward to what happened today, where you know he builds up that five shot lead, you know, six shot lead, and and then and then slowly starts losing it. Mm-hmm. It was amazing, you know, like, like take, for instance, you know, it looked like it was going to be a no-brainer mm-hmm. after the X-Man didn't make that eagle putt on 13, but he, X-Man birdies 14. So it's like, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, something can happen. And then all of a sudden, Hideki yeah. hits that shot on 15, which was like, wow, what, what are you thinking? You know, I mean, I don't think he understood how much adrenaline affects, you know, he's trying to hit, you know, a nice solid shot. And he just hits this rocket bullet, and and that's that's part of adrenaline. And some players figure it out, and and some players fall to a, a not a bad shot that turns out to be bad. It, it, it got exciting. I mean, you know, yeah, it, it's, did. it did. Let's face it, you know, it did. We'll go, we'll go through it a little bit, but first, let me go back to that shot. You're talking about the second shot at 15, which you've hit a million times. I've actually had the uh, the honor of hitting that shot. I don't think people watching on TV understand that when you're standing in the middle of that 15th fairway, the green, that it just looks like a little sliver of land. You got the water in front. You got the water where he hit it in back on 16's pond. Do you think he should have – I mean, he had a huge lead. Do you think he should have – you don't think he should have laid up. Should he have taken one less club and hit it high in the air? How should he have played that? That shot, Ken. I, I I have no problem with him after he hit a good drive, going for it. I, I think he clearly hit the wrong club because even if he doesn't hit the bullet, I think he hit four iron. Yes, it would have flown and gone over the green. What's the point if 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 you're not going to literally try to hit it on the green, you need to lay up. But see, these these are all the little things that you don't 
under the gun, you, you forget to think about, you know, instead of thinking to himself, you know, well, geez, I only got two, I think it was 236 to the hole. Why would I hit wedge wedge? But I'll just hit four and make sure I don't hit a short. Next thing you know, he bullets it. Right. Could have easily lost more than two. Uh, I mean, the X-Man's bunker shot came literally within an, an inch of going in. Right. Right. So and, it's, it's, and then it's a new ball. That's game. just a learning yeah. process of yeah. uh, trying to understand what adrenaline does to you. And, and then the, what else nerves does to you is you literally don't always think everything through and you don't even realize you're not thinking it through. So, which I guess you have a caddy for, but I don't know the, the relationship between the two. So, so Ken, he hits it into the pond at 16. He makes bogey. Xander comes out of the, the bunker makes birdie. It's a two shot swing. They go to 16. Okay. We've all watched 16 a billion times. How many shots have I watched in my 53 years on this earth have I watched on TV get hit at 16? I think I've seen more hole-in-ones than I've seen balls, and I can remember balls from the pros at the Masters going in that water. They, they never hit it in the water. I think Norman hit it in the water when he was collapsing against Faldo that one year at 16. Other than that, I can't even remember anybody hitting in the, wa- in the water. They were talking about it after the match on Sunday that Xander tried to hit a cut. He tried to start it over the water and cut it back into that pin instead of playing to the spine of the green. Do you have any sense of how he hit the ball in the water there? Well, I mean, no matter what he says, you know, he, you know I saw the interview afterwards. He, he, he felt like it was, a, you know, the right play. And he didn't really hit a bad shot. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. It's Even if you're trying to hit a fade, you started at the pin and let it drift and catch the hill and come, come Correct. back. Correct. I mean, that was a good seven, eight yards left of target. I mean, I'm not saying it was a Norman shot where it was just dead, dead left, but, you know, it just wasn't a good shot. When you got Hideki on the ropes and momentum is huge in golf, just get it to the middle and hopefully catch the hill because you know Hideki's going to probably bail out and be safe which probably means you're going to three-putt two out of three times coming mm-hmm. off that hill. Mm-hmm. You've got Mo on your side. You've just, you've just birdied, you know, what is it, three holes in a row? Yep. And he just blows it. I mean, it's just a, a bad shot at the wrong time, no matter how you look at it. And Do more balls then, go in that water, Ken, than I realize? I, I, don't, I don't remember no. seeing that. I mean, did you ever, hit it in no, the, you ever hit it in the water at 16 at the Masters? God, no, I'm too good for that. <laughs> uh no, I mean you really you're not it's just not a shot you hit in the water. I mean it just it doesn't really come into play because anytime the pins are on the left side, you know, you're you're always using the hill. Yeah. So only just a bad bad shot goes in the water, you know. Mm. Guys who maybe missed a cut might want knock one or two in, but you're lucky if there's five balls in there all week. So it was just again another one of those moments where you're not thinking it through. Mm. And this is what the moment and the pressure does to some people that you don't think it through. If Jack Nichols was on that tee with Xander and he walked him through what to do, chances are Xander doesn't hit the shot. I'm not saying he makes birdie, but he's going to be on the green putt. Yeah. It's really wild how some people get affected and you, and you just don't think everything through. Ken, um, Matsuyama swing. We've all, Anybody who's watched him play over the years, he's been a very accomplished player for a long time. We all, we've all become familiar with that pause at the top, which I want you to talk about. But they showed a shot today 
from the side. I don't know that I've ever realized this about him. They showed a camera angle when he was set up over the ball on an iron play, Ken. And his, I couldn't believe how much weight he starts with on his left side. They've always taught us, you know, it's kind of a 50-50, and then you get the weight back to your right, then you come back to the left. He must start at about 70-30 or 75-25 on his left. Is that what they call stack and tilt? And what do you think about that for our viewers and our listeners who saw that? It's not a full stack and tilt because on a full stack and tilt, you're basically going to stay on the left where he, he actually gets back on the right not not as much as every other player that plays the tour, but right. And, and then he goes through. It, it's called I would call it a modified version, and for him it works. And the pause, I believe, is what they've been working on a little. I know he just switched teachers, mm-hmm. and they're trying to get a better rhythm to it. But you know, and I don't know if they really mentioned this enough that you know it's been over four years since he won, and for a while there he was like stacking up W's like it was you know like you're going to the bathroom. I mean, he's one after the other. And then all of a sudden he just disappears. Now, and it's not like a Jordan where all of a sudden he just was all over the place. It would have been interesting to talk to him now that after he's won is what exactly happened during that stretch where you did, did something go on in the, in the personal world or was it some swing changes or did you just all of a sudden couldn't figure out how to play the game of golf like you used to? Because good, really good players don't usually lose it for that kind of gaps. Mm-hmm. You know, and here we've had two really good players, you know, Jordan and Matsu, that have literally basically taken a vacation for four years. Why not pause at the top, Ken? Well, I I personally don't have a problem with it because I I have a tendency to do the opposite. You know, I'm Go a little fast. too quick, so yeah, yeah. I'm always envious of guys that can stop up there and, and you know they could fart, they can make a phone call, <laughs> but uh, you know, and I, I've never understood it. But to me, I don't think it. If he's good with it, yeah. why worry about it? And this is where I think teachers take over too much. You know, it's the old, well, if you want to get better, you've got to do this. You know, and we watch so many guys tinker with their swings over the years that have, for most part, failed. And my theory is, is like, why stop with something that's working? Correct. Matsuyama was a really good ball striker. Yeah, he is. Always you know, has so what, what are you worried about? Yeah. And then there's the story, Ken, of this guy, Will Zalatoris. I mean, he turns sideways and you can't see him. He's that thin. And it's his first Masters. He's playing. He's having trouble getting on the Corn Ferry Tour a year or two ago. And here he is playing as if none of this is impacting him. And he keeps saying, oh, I... I just been dreaming about being here a lot. Well, we all have been dreaming about being there, but we all would have been pooping in our pants in our first go right. around if we were in that situation. How does a guy like that keep his composure and put his best? I mean, that was really impressive the way he handled himself on Sunday. It's one of those surprise rises, though. People in the in the golf world knew about him, you know, but he just hadn't. Q schools only come once a year, you know, and of course the last couple of years with COVID. They're non-existent. So, you know, he had to, I believe he Monday qualified to get on the corn ferry and then kept playing. And that's how he, he, well, he's going to be exempt, you know, next year. And then he plays so well that he goes into the top 50. So he gets an invite to the masters Yeah, and he technically doesn't even have a, a, a PGA tour card. And quite honestly, if the, if the guy putted better, yeah. he would have, he would have won the damn thing easily. 
or, you know, easily put pressure on, you know, Matsu, and then who knows how it would have happened. But How does he handle the nerves? I guess what you're saying is he's been playing for his golf life for years. He's been on the on the fence of whether he was going to even have a career. So this is like nothing compared to that. Well, it's like it's like when you go to the casinos and you and you're winning. It, you're playing with house money, so you just keep keep going. Yeah. He's had such a run in the last year and a half that everything he does is like gravy. Yeah. And so that that might have relaxed him. You know, it's when people don't expect you to do anything, it's sometimes a lot easier to do it. You know, I've been hearing from some kids that I know that you need to watch out for this kid. He's going to be really good. Okay. And it was just, it's just a question of getting that stroke down a little better because he, he hit some really cautious putts. Now, part of that's Augusta. Mm-hmm. He's going to win. He's going to have a good career. There, mm-hmm. There's, I, I, I don't think anybody who knows the game won't tell you that he's going to have a good career. <laughs> Sorry about that. My dog tried to steal. <laughs> My, one of my puppies tried to steal my food. That just got put down. <laughs> Ken, before you go, Tiger wasn't there this week, and he wasn't at the dinner, and he's lucky to be alive after the crash a few months ago in Los Angeles. You unfortunately know that pain of a nearly catastrophic accident. You've talked a lot about it. You've written about it. The book, by the way, is called Hunter of Hope. Do you have a thought or two about, I mean, you and I haven't visited in the last couple of months since Tiger got in the accident? Well, I mean, obviously what happened to him was, was horrible. You don't wish that on anybody. And the, the, his recovery is going to really make him decide what he wants to do in, in terms of swallow the pain and, and fight through it. Or at this age, does he really want to fight and get back? Without knowing the real extent of injuries, and this is where I disagree with the, the Tiger Woods camp, I believe that they should be telling us exactly what's going on and they're, and they're not. And I think that's unfortunate because I think you're a public figure and I think you owe it to the public because 90% of them are rooting for them. But if, if that ankle, you know, the, the bone that got cracked and all that, that's not an issue. It's, it's all in his ankle, how bad his ankle has been, has been destroyed mm-hmm. as to whether he can play golf again or compete at a good level. He'll obviously always be able to play golf, but. You know, you're 40, didn't he just turn 46, I think? Something like that. Uh, yeah. And are you really going to be driven? Now you're going to have to figure out a basically a brand-new golf swing. He's not going to have the swing that he, that he had prior. And we all know that it takes, it takes a pound of golf balls to make changes like that. And, you know, he only has so much time left. So it's, it's going to be a hard recovery in terms of, can he compete on the tour again? But he'll play with his kids. Oh, I, I think yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He, can, he can. He'll he'll be able to figure that out. Yeah. But you know, you got to remember what makes Tiger click is not normal. It, guys like you and me, we we're not. Our brains don't think like that. He wants to compete and win, or does he care? You know, like Jack. Once he couldn't compete, he he doesn't play golf again. Mm-hmm. You know, but only time will tell what what, what happens with Tiger and. You know, maybe maybe Charlie, his son, will be the inspiration that he needs if he needs any. You know, Tiger is Tiger is Tiger, and he's still driven to to catch that 18. Make sure you check out his book, The Hunter of Hope. He's been really kind to me over the years. We pull for you, Ken Green. We love you out here in the Pacific Northwest. Thanks for joining us. Let's talk. I guess PGA Championship is next. Let's talk in a couple of months. Yeah. 
Keith Kiwa and I think uh, Rory wiped the, wiped right. the place out last that's, time. That's so, right. That's yeah. right. Great talking with you, Ken. Right, Thank you for good. doing it. Don't get in too much trouble. Hey, hey, another chance to visit with my man Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. How are we doing, Jordan? We're doing great, Mitch. Thank you. And thanks for having me back on. It's great to have a great partner on. Interest rates spike a little bit from where we were for the longest time, especially during the pandemic. Did all of us who hesitated to buy or refinance, did we blow it, Jordan? You definitely haven't blown it. Anybody out there, the rates are still at historic lows. There has been a little tick up, but there's still phenomenal time to look at refinancing or purchasing that new home. Where exactly does that leave all of us that are selling or buying a house? Tis the season. Tis the season. It's the spring season. It's historically that time of year, everybody's getting their homes ready to sell or buyers out there already looking on the market. It kind of hit a little earlier this year. Extremely competitive environment. Homes are appreciating and selling for 10, 20, even some 30% over list. And so it leaves a lot of sellers right now wondering, well, if we sell, where do we go? Uh, we do have solutions and programs to help people buy a new home, non-contingent, and still use the equity of their departing residents. We're helping people win there, sellers win there, so they can buy that new home before they uh, list and sell their house. And we're helping first-time home buyers in this incredibly challenging environment and then winning offers still five ten percent over so there's lots of areas where jordan and his team at the kirkland office of guild mortgage can help you not just strictly mortgages where would they call where would they phone would they go to you directly or somewhere else they can reach me on my office line 425-250-3145 or on my cell phone at 425-890-2957 the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage, great partners, Jordan Flowers and his team of Mitch Unfiltered. Okay, round two time, make Mitch look silly with investment trivia. Here's Katie Versio, a senior financial planner of Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. I think I was one and a half out of three last time, something like that, 50%. Yes. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to see how you do this time. Okay, question one, go. So we've all seen GameStop in the news. Which of the following is correct regarding short selling? Unlimited upside. Two, there's unlimited downside. It generates an income stream or it hedges your position. Well, because Jeff Dix of Evergreen Golf Call was on a recent show, I know the answer to this. It can go up, up and away. It could go up as high as it wants to go. So there's unlimited downside because when Mm -hmm. you short a stock, you're rooting for it to go down and it could go up forever. That's right. Yes. So you're correct. It's number two. There's unlimited downside. So that's why it can be so dangerous because it's unlike if you were to just buy a stock, what we'd call long, where you know the price can't go below zero. All right. I'm one for one. Okay. So with tax season coming up, individuals need to remember to make their IRA contributions for 2020 before April 15th. So for individuals that are under the age of 50, what's the maximum that you can contribute? Is it $10,000, $6,000, $19,000, or $1,000? Yeah, I know the answer to this. For many, many years, even though I'm now over the age of 50, my accountant every year in April would tell me to make this contribution to my IRA, and I would grumble. 
but I did it. And it was $6,000 every year. Correct. Uh, yeah, you're two for two here. It's important to remember to make those ongoing contributions. I know it can be a little bit of a pain, but you get a little bit of a break because you've got until April 15th of the next year to make them. And if you're over the age of 50, you actually get another $1,000 so you can contribute up to $7,000. Two for two. I'm going for the clean sweep, Katie. Okay, so 2020 was obviously a very turbulent year. Uh, what was economic growth for the year as measured by GDP? Was it zero or flat on the year? Was it negative three and a half percent? Was it negative 6.2% or was it up 1%? Gross domestic product, right? That's right. I'm going to go down 6%. It was a bad year. Oof, so actually, uh, you got that one incorrect. The correct answer is actually two, negative 3.5%. You know, we saw some of the sharpest decline in GDP back in the spring, in March and April, but the second half of the year actually rebounded quite a bit. So that's why it's not down as much as it could have been. Well, two for three. In my second go around, I'm still going up. I'm going three for three the next time. She's Katie <laughs> Versio, and she's a senior financial planner with Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. There you go. There's episode 137. Three fine interviews that Richard Gold's going to really like. <laughs> so you're like me. You obsess over stuff and you just can't let things go. I just I, want to know how many of those three he listened to. Well, he doesn't listen to the show anymore. He said listen in a month, right? Or it's something stale. like that. Or it's, there were three stale interviews, ladies and gentlemen. But again, you can't say it's stale if you're doing new stuff like branching out from sports. I don't know. It, it could be a lot of things. You could hate it, but you can't say it's stale. You're doing something new. Hot shot. On episode 136, Jim Moore talked about telling Gary Payton, I'm I'm sick and tired of your shit, right. Gary. That's right. He went nose to nose with Gary Payton. Yep. And Tasha from Geico cried. Yep. Literally broke down like three times because she's so appreciative of getting the opportunity to be in the tag team scoop there it is commercial. Yeah. She cried. Yeah. How do people not like when you how is that stale? <laughs> when Tasha cries, yeah. that's not stale. Yeah, he wants you to talk about the Mariners farm system, if you wouldn't mind for two <laughs> I'm hours. Happy to and do that too. Explain to everyone who I the like the Mariners are. farm system, but no. Again, this guy, he just needs to download the ESPN app and just stare at it all day or is it possible he loves the show and he's just he's just pulling my leg to see if he can get his <laughs> get his email read yes it is possible but, but I, ho I hope you're right shit all right matthew yes. perry big friends guy you know matthew perry i know matthew i don't know him personally oh, right yes yeah, yeah. he let the cat out of the bag about the highly anticipated friends reunion it's really happening it looks like and now his deleted instagram post proves it why are, you, why are you sighing about this? Because Richard Gold's not going to like this oh, story. Sorry. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Kyle Singer was four Are you for a four. friends? So they're going to do a reunion show. And people are like so excited about this. Okay, yeah, and, let's and, talk and about this. By the way, I think it's a one-off from last I heard. It's not like they're going to do a whole season like Will and Grace did. I think it's just a one-time special. Oh, well, I would hope it's only one time. I don't, yeah, but Will and Grace like came back season? and did, oh, no, did the whole no. thing. So. so are you a friends guy? Have we no, talked about this? not at all. And you're not a Seinfeld guy either. I told you I missed TV in the 90s. Pick a show. X-Files, any of them. I just missed why? it. Why? Well, I didn't have cable for a while. I was in college. And then, I, you know, in 95, I'm 21 working for you and trying to go out to, you know, meet people. And I just was not home watching TV in the 90s. I just miss shows. But you're this guy who's who spends like every day catching yeah. up for the 90s. Oh, I'm making By watching it. like Netflix and all these other streaming services. Yeah. Have you not decided to sit down and watch Seinfeld or no? I mean, I've seen episodes just not of interested it. In it. I just have too much of my life. It just keeps piling up. I, I don't know that I can go back now. It's funny. 
Because I, you, I view as somebody who would love Seinfeld. Yeah. And it's probably really would. disappointing that you haven't seen it. <laughs> but okay. Are you fired up for the Friends? Oh, so you didn't see Friends? You're not a Friends person. No, but my, it's my wife's favorite show. Like okay, she'll, so she'll go on excited. walks with the dog and just stream old episodes. That's what and they're going to do one to. like big, not half hour show. They'll probably do a, like a two hour deal. What's, yeah, it looks like it's going to. What's gonna, the detail? It's going to premiere on HBO Max. Okay. So, um, by the way, uh, Kong vs. Godzilla came out this past weekend. Already saw it. See, I, I watch everything on HBO Max. But it was not awesome. Not Seinfeld. Not Seinfeld. I know, I just... Uh, hard but to understand that I've one. tried to go back and watch The Wire that came out like early 2000s. Yeah, People love The Wire. Yeah, just... Yeah. So I, I miss Sopranos, which I've gone back and watched. Okay. But I've just missed TV in the 90s. I don't but know why. But you're a comic. You're like a comic <laughs> wannabe. Yeah. You're a stand-up wannabe, comic sure. wannabe. Yeah. You love these... You love writing and funny writing and comedy and... And I, you I, love Saturday Night Live. You like sketch. I mean, how do you not have seen Seinfeld? I mean, again, I've, I've seen some it's Seinfeld, episodes. Seinfeld, for yeah. God's sake. And I like the Larry David uh, Curb. I've seen a million of those. Up, not all of them, but I, I love that show. Oh, my God. I know. Okay. I, I, I didn't hear enough good things about Seinfeld, so okay. I decided to stay well, away. Nobody liked it. Yeah, that's right. Go ahead. The Dodgers got their World Series rings on Friday, and good Lord, did you see those things? No, I've not. It just packed with diamonds. But they did yeah. a really cool thing. They, so each of the players, were they were introduced to the crowd by their childhood MLB heroes, which I thought was kind of a, a cool thing. So Mookie Betts was introed by Jimmy Rollins. Chase Utley introduced Cody Bellinger. And Big Poppy David Ortiz did the honors for Julio Urias. I think is that how you say his name? Yeah, anyway. the, the, the pitcher, the young pitcher. Yeah, I, yeah so I, I thought that was kind of a, a cool – I've never heard that before. It's pretty, uh, the question is, who would you have introduce you if you were a Major League Baseball player getting your ring? Who would be your oh, – I think I might know, actually who your, your childhood hero in baseball would be. Do you have one? Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean who my favorite baseball player of all time is? Yeah. Who, well, who? that's easy. That's Dale Murphy. Dale Murphy. That's what I thought. In fact, yeah. I'm actually, I, I actually regret the fact that I didn't ask um, Jim Moore, the go-to guy yeah. on episode 136. I had that on my notes to talk about. He named his dog Murphy. In fact, he did a famous or an infamous column okay. when Murphy died like a letter from him to Murphy or Murphy oh, to him, right? So sweet. Right? And I never knew that it was because Jim Moore's favorite all-time baseball player was Dale Murphy, and I don't know that I've ever run across anybody else huh. who, whose favorite baseball player was Jim Murphy, uh, Dale Murphy, and I had the, on the notes to talk to Jim Moore, but we were too busy talking about Charles Barkley at the golf course and <laughs> yeah, stuff. you got to wait for his book now, I guess. You'll never know until you buy Jim Moore's book. So I, I wonder, did Jim Moore grow up in the Northwest? I think he yes, did. Yes, he, he grew up in Redmond. Yeah, that's right. He did. And yeah, then he went to Washington State. Yeah. And a lot of dog fans didn't want me to have him on our show because he says go Cougs all the time. Oh. Like, I'm not going to have a guest on because he's a he's a flag-waving Cougar. Right. <sighs> yeah. Come on. Really? Okay. okay. Mr. Gold didn't want him on either, by the way. Just no. So you, no, 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 he didn't want anybody on. All right. So, by the way, the total number of diamonds is 96 in those rings. are pretty amazing. Jay Glazer knows a lot about anxiety and depression because he struggled with both for years. He's now offering mental health therapy for really? people working out at his gym. Wow. Yeah, it's a really cool thing. So, he essentially got his therapist to hang her shingle in the West Hollywood gym that he owns called Unbreakable Performance to help people work on their mental health as well as their physical wow. health. And they can get a 50-minute session or shorter. And Jay says he thinks it could be a lifesaver. He's the people. NFL Fox insider, right, on, yeah. on Fox's pre game show he's pretty good too jay glazer he he's dialed in i think he broke the percy harvin thing for the seahawks so i've been following him ever since waiting for another big one how do you remember who broke the (laughs) percy well Well, richard gold's gonna love that (laughs) 
<laughs> well, because I was kind of... Wait a second. Super... I like Hot Shot <laughs> I was. He knows you broke the Percy Harvin story. But I was waiting for like a Schefter or a Chris, you know, <laughs> somebody, Peter King. I was like, Jake Glazer. Jason Hamilton has no idea who broke the Percy Harvin story, <laughs> but Hot Shot does. Right. A tradition unlike any other turned into a pain unlike any other for what? Rory McElroy's dad. Oh, I saw. At yeah. the Masters on him. Thursday. He hit him. He hit him. And he was happy about it. He got, he was happy? Yeah, the caddy said, you just hit your dad. He goes, yeah. <laughs> I've never liked the guy. <laughs> He's a schnur yeah, asking for got tickets him. all the time. He got him. Yeah, he hit. So it was a weird moment that went down on the seventh hole of his opening round. The, the, the shot, uh, he tried to bend a shot around a tree to hit the green from the rough. The problem was McElroy's approach never turned and it made a beeline right for his dad and hit him right in the cap. So he did yell four right, and but yeah. Pops didn't move quick enough and it no. smacked him. So, yeah. all right. Well, I, he, and, he and Pops... Slammed their trunks on Friday and went home. Yeah, true. If he's hitting shots like that, apparently it wasn't a yeah. wasn't a good round for. Not Rory. in good form for Rory. No, no, he's struggling. Ayanna Williams. I don't. This story kind of grosses me out. I'm curious what you think about this. She had the Guinness World Record holder. She was the Guinness World Record holder for the longest fingernails on a pair of female hands since oh. 2017. Why is it so gross? It's just gross, isn't it? I I, I don't know why. Well, when. They nearly measured a combined 19 feet. And what they do is they start curving. I know. Remember the old picture in the, in the Guinness book of that old guy? But yeah, she was, she's the new, new leader in the clubhouse. Oh. Well, yeah. So, but she ended up cutting them, and uh, it's pretty crazy to see. She had her fingernails sawed off with an electric rotary tool. Yeah. Probably like the kind they used to cut the casts off. And after revealing she'd been growing them for 29 years. Well, I got a message. I got a message for Richard Gold. Oh, God, I can't stop. We have scheduled her on episode 138. (laughs) She's going to be on the show. And and that will not be a stale interview. I promise. No, no, it's not going to be stale. No, it's going to be fantastic. Can she hold a phone with those fingernails? Can you do anything with them? No. Like, what if you have to go to the ATM? they get dirty. What if you have to go to the ATM? What are you going to do? I mean, how yeah, do you get pressed with the finger? Can you type? Can you do anything with I those? Don't know. They're just it's like Wolverine. Gross. Yeah, gross. it is kind of gross. All right, Babe Ruth, you heard of him? Yep. He secretly penned a handwriting letter to his mistress behind his wife's back nearly a hundred years ago. And that letter is for sale at auction. auction. Did you see that? No, I just know the Good way guess. you think. Yes. Okay. And it's gonna go for or it's already been auctioned. It's been sold. Want me to guess? Well, no, because you'll blow it out of the water. No, you, I'm gonna guess. No, let me guess. Okay. Ask me the question. How much did yeah. the secretly penned handwritten letter from Babe Ruth to his mistress go for? Here you go. Ready? I know. $114. Oh, thank you I do. very much. Yeah. I thought it was going to be $114 billion. <laughs> How much did it go for, Hotshot? $201,000. Oh, my God. $851. And I thought it was $114. Way more than you thought, yes. Yes. But he, it, he wrote in it, if you, um, people want to know, I'm sure. Dear Nell, very sorry, but my wife jumped over on me without me knowing it. And the first time she ever did that, she is watching me. So don't get mad and I will see you Monday night. Babe Ruth. I know. I mean, who's shocked, right? But Babe Ruth. So I guess my, my point to this whole thing is, if, if any, you think any of your grandmas dated a famous baseball or football or basketball player, go look for some old letters I from think them. It ha- I think it'd have to be great grandmas now. <laughs> yeah, right. Great, great grandmas. Yeah, great How old would Babe Ruth be today? Well, this was 100 years ago when he was married. So let's say he's 35 or so. So 100 and, yeah. Great, great, great. Go look through the attic. Maybe you'll find something from like Wilt Chamberlain or someone. I don't know. Yes. You can sell it at auction. Yeah. By the way, speaking of collectibles, I guess, the uh, issue of Action Comics number one. I'm sure you know what that is. 
I don't. It's like the most sought after comic. It's Superman, the first Superman comic okay. book. Okay. That just went on sale at a private sale for three point two five million for a comic book. Yes. Three, it's not the only one of its kind. I don't think it's the only one, but I think it's the one that's in the best shape. And then a Tom Brady rookie card fetched two point two five million. You always seem to bring those types of things in here. You like you, you you're fascinated by things that go up for auction. Yeah, I am. That that fetch big numbers. I think it's crazy. A Tom Brady rookie card feels very gettable. He was a rookie 20 years. It's not like Honus Wagner. I mean, he's Tom Brady rookie for $2 million. Yeah. I think you I probably saw, have some if you look around in your garage. I your think kids. I saw a tweet from Tom Brady about that, by the way. Did you? I don't remember. No. I think he retweeted something about his rookie card going for a lot of money. Uh-huh. He retweeted a picture of himself in the basement. He's like, I think it's time to go through my basement. Something <laughs> yeah, like that. That was his response. He's right. <laughs> he's right. He's got to have a few, doesn't he? His parents. How much did he get? $2.25 million. So if he's got 20 of them. Yeah, right. Shouldn't he have 20 of his own rookie cards? Yeah. Why is he still playing? Just go cash those in at auction and call it a day. Avoid the CTE. All right, here's a guy we could get on the show maybe. Ryan Carney Williams is just another poor guy who wanted to avoid the excess baggage charges on his flight from Iceland to England. His plan... Put on eight pairs of pants and ten shirts and try to board the plane. So he didn't have to put them in a bag. <laughs> Cheap ass. It wasn't that a Seinfeld thing, too? Didn't one of them try to put on a bunch of clothes for some, an episode? I don't know. Anyway, the airline said, nope. Oh. So Ryan got belligerent and was eventually arrested, pepper sprayed, and held on the ground. Yes. Wait a second. Yeah. The airlines can decide how many pieces of clothing you put on? He was probably walking like the Michelin man. I'm, you know, I'm sure it didn't look right. Yes. They can... Refuse service to anyone, I'm guessing. So okay. maybe just pay the 50 bucks next time and not go to jail. That would be my advice to him. All right. I guess we should talk about rest in peace to Prince Philip, 99 years yep. old. Yeah. Uh, passed away in a bungee jumping accident. Right. Married to the queen for 73 years. The spouse, 73 years. Wait a second. Passed away with a bungee? Uh, what are you <laughs> talking about? Natural causes, of course. Like, I have to say that. <laughs> he went right over. It Richard's going to be pissed. It was a doom buggy accident. I mean, of course, it was natural causes. Uh, and then we talked about DMX, who you're not a fan of or anything, but he, he died. passed. Yeah, he passed away. Died, yeah. yeah. I don't know who he is. I did, I did read that Mike Tyson used to come out to his music. Is oh. that true? Would you call what he did music? He did music, right? He used to. How dare you? Uh, Tyson used to come out to welcome to the Thunderdome by public enemy. I first. read something after this guy died at age 50. I read something that Mike Tyson at least one time came out. You know how he used to come out with no robe and no socks yeah, and whatever. Mike Tyson. You know Mike Tyson. He was the former heavyweight champion. You get, he makes the chicken. Call Jason. No? Call the, Jason Hamilton. He'll tell you. <laughs> okay. Who he yes. Oh, I will. No, he first came out to public enemy. So I, I don't know. DMX is a little too late for Tyson. I mean, maybe Tyson check, did at some check, point. Yes, but. I think at one time because I think somebody was, you know, sending the the video around. Okay. On social media. Y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here. So he had a no? stroke. Just suddenly had a stroke. No, not suddenly. The, the word is that he had a drug overdose. Oh. And that induced the heart attack okay. and the stroke, and there was deprivation, oxygen deprivation to the brain, Got and it. yeah, he started just deteriorating. So rest Sorry f- to hear that. fifty years old. DMX definitely had his um, his demons and his issues in life, but As we he was all a do. big part of Cube 93, I'll tell you, when I was there. Oh, he was? Well, I mean, just his, his music was everywhere. Did he, he was, ever come to, to, to Cube 93? I'm sure. Did he ever jam. do the Summer Jam? I'm sure. There's no question he went to at least one Summer Jam. Really? Yeah. Wow. He was he was big. He had a nice little... He's got two very notable songs. He was very big for a minute, so rest in peace to DMX. How many songs do you, do you think of DMX that Re- Richard Gould knows? Oh, 10 to 12. Hey, big, big fan, Richard Gould. Is it Gould or Gold? Do we... I don't know. G-O-U-L-D. How oh, Gould. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gould. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, got one last story here. Okay. Multiple federal law enforcement officials and sources confirm a formal, I won't say the airline because it's just alleged at this point, but a former commercial airline pilot is being charged with comment committing a lewd incident act mid-flight from Philadelphia to Orlando back in August. He's been officially charged. A court filing says Michael Hawk, I guess I'm saying his name, but I wouldn't say the airline, <laughs> intentionally committed an, uh, an act of lewd, indecent, and obscene exposure of his genitals in a public place. While, while, the, while the plane what was public in place? Flight, well, on a plane. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess, you know, if they're stewardesses and maybe the other captain. First of all, they're flight attendants. They're not stewardesses. Yeah. Oh, they are. Yeah, they're they, flight attendants. Okay. Yeah, we don't say stewardesses. Oh, we, we don't. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. yeah, so maybe, you know, I'm sure the flight attendant's not dying to see that or anyone well, for that she, matter. He was the pilot. <laughs> so it's okay then. Is what you're no, saying. he closes the door. <laughs> He's the only guy in there, isn't he? Well, there's a That's co-pilot. A pilot. Yeah. 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 The planes are big now. They, yeah. take, they have two. Yeah. Case. Well, maybe the co-pilot was out using the can. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Or maybe, maybe the pilot was out using the can. You should be his lawyer. It sounds like you could. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's that public to me. Well, I think anything on a plane is probably just completely frowned upon. I mean, it's a it's his it's his office. Anything on a plane, people have been doing it in the in the damn bathroom for years. The Mile High Club. The filing from federal prosecutors <laughs> said the acts began, continued, and were completed while the aircraft was in flight. So, and and the weird thing is, if you're flying over, say, like a federal, like Washington D.C. when it happens or something, yeah. then there's like more charges. And, oh, geez, bad timing for him. Uh, yeah. In a statement, a spokesperson for the airline said that the pilot had left the airline before charges against him were filed. So I think he knew he was probably busted and quit. And uh, yeah. So uh, maybe that's where they got the name cockpit. <laughs> Attorneys for the pilot say their defense strategy will show that this is all a big misunderstanding. Personally, I don't think it'll fly. How come the passengers are the only ones who have to stow our carry-on luggage? How this is, honestly, this is really dangerous behavior on a plane, especially if someone has a nut allergy. And finally, haven't we learned anything from the great Samuel L. Jackson who famously said, stories Richard's going to like? That last one. I mean, forget about it, right? He's going to love it. I think if we, if we had any type of chance... Of reeling Richard Gould back in. Yeah. I don't think we did it with episode 137. <laughs> we should have him on and just talk to him and just see what's up. What, what, what can we do to make his his life better? Yeah. Maybe we should. Yeah. I'll sit here too. I'll, yeah, I'll but, butt out, but I want to listen. But then we're going to do that, and then he's going to listen to that and call it a stale segment. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Even with him, he'd call it a stale segment. <laughs> episode 137. I like David Barrett of One Shining Moment. I liked Rick Rosner, the third or second or first... Smartest guy in the world. Amazing. I like it. I like Ken Green of the yep. Masters. Yep. All right? I'm with you. I don't think uh, you should change for anything. No, I'm not I changing. Good. Maybe I will. <laughs> Episode 137 in the books. <laughs>